Accessing secret history files. Identify. Dr. Brian Sovereign. 21st century anarchist. Tech journalist. Game developer. Creator of the podcast Sovereign Tech. Directly responsible for stopping the enslavement of humanity by the blockchain intelligence. By the year 2099, Dr. Sovereign's work would lead to the creation of various anarchist colonies in space and in Earth's ocean, as well as... Are you ready for the hottest tech news, analysis, and commentary? Are you ready for the bleeding edge in science and ethics? Then it's time for Sovereign Tech. With your host, the golden stallion of the tech world, the man in triple black, the rated R radio star, Brian Sovereign. He has a really long, impressive resume. And now, here's Brian. Oh, baby! You're listening to absolutely the official podcast of the future. Because <laughs> you know that when you listen to this show, you are months, if not years, hell, maybe even decades ahead of anybody else with what's going on in science, technology, and a little ethics on the side. Absolutely. The Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star. Ready to bring it on one more time. Now, <laughs> boy, what a what a show we've got lined up here because Google I.O. was that a hell of a thing. Talk about getting a glimpse into the future. However, doesn't mean it was all sugar and light. You know, that it was all niceness. Maybe uh, maybe there's things there that, they, that weren't so grand. But we'll get into that for our main story. I told you I'd talk about it. I haven't done any blogging about it at ZOG.Ninja. Uh, kept it quiet because I want to talk about it right here. And I'm going to try and cover every project uh, that they went over. So lots to get into. Uh, why don't we get into Well, you know what? Before I do that, before I get into the random access, I just want to say uh, I got some very, very gracious uh, donations to the, the the Sovereign Tech wish list, the Amazon wish list. Of course, you can go to wishlist.zog.ninja, and that'll take you right there. There's still plenty more going on uh, that you can, uh, you know, if you want to donate equipment for. Uh, we're really trying here, you know, it. I use, of course, the the studio of the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, and we're actually, we're kind of trying to, like, triple production of what can come out of this house, <laughs> okay? I'm mean, really trying to ramp it up, and so we're at, I'm actually building somewhat of a second studio, so if you want to help out with that, wishlist.zog.ninja, there's equipment there uh, that you can purchase that can help out with that, but someone uh, actually got me a, uh, a, I have a new computer now, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a decently low-end machine, but... I'm going to talk, maybe I'll talk about that during the climax because I'm actually pretty impressed by it. Uh, so we have that going on and it, you know, thank you so much for everybody that donated through the, uh, through the Amazon wish list. That means a lot. And of course you can also uh, donate monetarily. Uh, you can go to uh, donate.zog.ninja and that will allow you to donate with coin, uh, Patreon and 
uh, you know, as well as PayPal, you know, all, all the good stuff, all the, all the nice ways. And if there's some other way you want to donate, you know, just, just go to the contact form, contact.zog.ninja, and you can get in touch with me and, uh, you know, let me know how you'd like to do that. So I appreciate everybody doing that. Uh, this week was, uh, you know, <laughs> last week was my birthday, but boy, it felt like it just kept on going into this week. Thanks so much to all of the Sovereign Tech listeners. Uh, it really, it helps in more, all this stuff helps in ways that you just can't, I mean this, you cannot imagine how much it helps and how far it goes, really, in, in the amount of projects that it helps create. Uh, so thank you uh, for that. Again, there's more equipment there if you want to help donate. There, you know, there's even a, a grander computer, all, all kinds of stuff, a mixing board, all that. Um, so, yes, we've got that out of the way. Uh, why don't yeah, Why don't I just go? No, no, no. All right. One more. <laughs> I do this all the time. Uh, I, I'm a podcast professional, really. If you here's another way that you can help out the show. Um, if you happen to know someone else that would like to advertise, I've had a lot of people ask me, boy, could you do, you know, obviously you're, you're compressing so much information into two hours with Sovereign Tech. It's so dense. This is what people tell me. I'm not saying it. Uh, you know, would you ever be willing to do another show? And I've teased that I'd be willing to do another show, another episode per week, if not more. And let me tell you what it would take to do that. There, there's a couple there's a couple possibilities here. Um, one is, is that either like my Patreon donations, you know, go up very significantly to where there is a value. And I can talk about this more in a future uh, Sovereign Tech episode, uh, you know, to to where I can I can afford to take the time to do another episode of Sovereign Tech each week. The other possibility is that. Uh, you know, if you know advertisers, if you know sponsors that would like to, you know, that you think would be a great fit for Sovereign Tech, get them in, you know, let me know who they are. Because if I can get, you know, if I can get more advertisers that I need to fill in, because I want to get great products out to people. You know, I, I am I am not opposed. I, we talk a lot on Sovereign Tech about advertising, you know, and and really like a lot of the bullshit advertising that goes out there. And I don't, you know, I don't play any bullshit on, on this show. Okay. And so if you know someone else, you know, I don't mind advertising as long as it's, you know, worthy advertising. I mean, you know, kind of like how Twit advertises, how Free Talk Live advertises, how all these shows, you know, they, they do these, these kind of, you know, interstitial advertisements, whatever. Uh, I, I, I'm totally on board with that. I think that that is the way to get stuff out to people. So if I can add on more advertisers and thus I need to make space for more advertisers. And right now I have some room. I don't always, but right now I do then I will have to do another, a second show. And so if I have advertisers for a second show, I will do a second show. So if you know of anybody, get in touch with me and I'll get in touch with whoever, you know, however you want to work this out. And I mean, I do, you know, for a show that gets thousands and thousands of plays a week, uh, like I, I my, you know, my rates, my, my sponsorship rates are incredibly low like ridiculously low. Uh, so, you know, please, I, you know, I, I like to be very competitive and I just like to get great shit out to people. All right. And I, and I really, I'm always honored that people uh, sponsor the show. Of course we have great sponsors right now. Uh, you know, we have cool trade, we have Roberts and Roberts brokerage, which is just Tim Fry, man, right on baby. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's, that's how, you, you know, if you're curious, cause I've had a lot of people email me, Hey, how can we get a second show? How could we, could we get three shows? Look folks, if I, if I'm either, you know, making it on Patreon, uh, or if, 
you know, I have enough advertisers. I mean, I'll do the show every goddamn day and I could <laughs> believe me, this mouth doesn't stop running <laughs> right? and this brain doesn't stop thinking. It just goes on and on and on. I mean, you should have, you cannot imagine the conversations the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I have every single day when we're in the shower together, when we're, you know, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, wherever, when we're driving somewhere, flying somewhere, whatever the case, damn. <laughs> I mean, so believe me, I could just share all those conversations with you. I could have them with you. You know, we could talk about the latest news, uh, all kinds of wild stuff that we could do. So. If you want to see that happen, that's, the, you know, that that's what it's really going to take uh, for me is I just I have to be able to afford to take more time uh, with the show. So anyway. All right. Now, let us get into the random access. Enough of the uh, enough shop talk, uh, as it were. And uh, yeah, we've boy some interesting stuff uh, this week. Starting off with why don't we start off with Uber? Uh, the Uber. Uh, well, Uber released the new feature this week called the trip tracker. And what this is, is a way to, well, effectively you personally as an Uber user. And if you have say a family or a significant other or whatever, uh, to track everywhere that, that, you know, that, that significant other or family member goes, you know, where they go, uh, you know, with an Uber, of course, uh, I'm sure because the Uber apps on a phone, you know, you could track it at any time anyway, if Uber gave you the ability, but for right now, Uber just allows that allows themselves to do that. And, you know, of course, hands that information over as we proved on sovereign tech without, you know, without batting an eye that, you know, they hand over all that information over to law enforcement and government agencies. Uh, you know, they don't even need a warrant. Oh, you would like this information about this person? Here you go. And they just hand it over. Uh, so now they are giving they're letting you in on the game a little bit to where you can spy on, uh, you know, perhaps your lover uh, or whatever the case may be. And, you know, I, so I can see like, yes, it would be interesting. And I can see where, you know, a lot of family members, perhaps maybe ones that live in cities, you know, would like to keep an eye on their kids, make sure they're getting home from school safe and all this stuff. You know, there's some there's some genuine uh, use cases for this that I could really see. But, you know, keep in mind the little bit of power that they're handing over to you is you know, it really directly correlates and it shows and it highlights to you just how much power they actually have over, you know, over keeping an eye, you know, over their, you know, control over your privacy or, you know, with, with them doing this, you know, your lack thereof. Uh, and I just, I feel like, you know, I remember, I remember when I got, uh, well, it wasn't my first cell phone, but for a little while, like I had a cell phone, I went into the military and I was like, oh, you know, I'm so glad to not have a cell phone now. And then I got out of there and I wasn't when I got out of the military. Uh, this is when I was living in Florida. I was like, yeah, I, I don't I don't want this cell phone shit. It's like I don't, I don't want it ever again. And, and I because I feel like it's just a way for people to interrupt me and for people to keep track of me, you know, to be able to like, you know, constantly call me or whatever. And I just I don't like I don't like getting interrupted and whatever. It wasn't necessarily a privacy thing uh, per se, but. I ended up, you know, due to a relationship that I was in this, you know, this would have been, I don't know, four or five, something like that. I ended up getting uh, another cell phone and holy shit. Now this, this relationship, uh, really, you know, at, at a certain point went south and my, that cell phone was off, was off the hook. 
like <laughs> I mean, it was just ringing constantly, uh, and and it was just like it it was it was madness, you know, that somebody was able like I just wanted to like get away from this, and and I and I couldn't. Um, and also, you know, I was really like. Yeah, I just I picture and I don't know how the permissions and all this work around the the Uber trip tracker, um, you know, but if you are like I could I could picture some people in relationships being very controlling. And we talked about this because Google Hangouts, which is not long for this world, it would appear, uh, also had added this feature to where you share your location within within the the app. And I was like, well, you know, and I, I'm not saying I support this, but I'm just saying that. And maybe sometimes you as an individual and you are an individual, you, there's something you want to be doing and maybe you don't, you know, you don't want anybody to know. And it's not nefarious. It's not malicious. You just want some privacy from the fact, or, you know, maybe there's something, you know, very, very serious that you're dealing with, uh, that you want to deal with privately with somebody else, whatever the case may be. This would, you know, would nullify that. You know, maybe like maybe you're in a in a in a terrible like I and I've been in this situation. Maybe you're in a terrible family uh, situation condition, um, and maybe you're going to see a therapist, but you're doing it on the QT. You know, you're doing it on the DL, the down low, and you don't want you know you don't want anybody to know about it, and you don't want to deal with the problem. And there's no reason like you you're not required. Is the best thing for you to say, hey, look, you know, honey, I, I'm going to go see a therapist, um, you know, and I want you to accept this, you know, and deal with it, whatever. Or whatever you're doing. Um, you know, you're not required to have to tell anybody that. And I just I would be I would see this Uber trip tracker as like, you know, oh, oh, shit. Uh, I mean, you know, you just you would lose a lot of autonomy. I, I, I don't I don't dig this. I like I said, I get the use cases and you can say I'm sure somebody's going to say, well, it's totally voluntary. Like you're not forced uh, you know, to use the Uber trip tracker. But this gets into, and I mentioned this when Hangouts came out with this feature, is that it's likely going to become somewhat of a trust issue, you know, or uh, like a faux trust issue to where your significant other might say, what, you won't hit, you won't turn trip tracker on? Don't you love me? What, why would you turn it off? What's going on here? You know, and all this stuff. I mean, it, it went all of, you know, that whole conversation and that whole social norm, none of that needs to exist. So I'm not saying this is necessarily, you know, an evil, I mean, Uber can do whatever it wants, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm not saying it's some kind of grand evil thing. I'm just saying, like, let's respect people if they don't want to take advantage of this sort of thing. Okay. And also, I mean, even for kids, you know, if they don't want a helicopter parent around them, well, then fuck, you know. That kid's a human being. That kid's a, you know, they're an individual. They're their own person. They can make that choice. So I, I don't dig it. I, I just, I, I don't, I don't like the, these whole ideas. Now, a little bit of, of other uh, Uber news. And if you think I'm off base about that, you can write in and, and tell me I'm off base. That's fine. But in other Uber news, an area where I definitely wasn't off base is in Philadelphia, Uber is already, uh, I think it's Philadelphia or Pittsburgh. Maybe it's Pittsburgh. But they are testing out driverless cars. Uber is testing out driverless cars. I said this so long ago, long before it was ever put in the news. I said that, look, Uber is is not, you know, everybody's saying, oh, what a great job opportunity and all this stuff. No, <laughs> that job opportunity, you know, they are all they were doing was setting out the laying out the infrastructure and they were creating this narrative to to allow Uber to exist in the first place. Because I think if Uber 
jumped from, okay, uh, you know, if they just went and came out with, with driverless cars, you know, Uber would have never taken off. People would have been too freaked out and they wouldn't have gotten past the whole, you know, taxi monopoly and all that. Uh, so they needed, you know, they went incremental. We might talk about this a little bit more in this episode, this, this idea of incrementalism, which I disagree with, but it, you know, in the popular mindset, I, I understand why, you know, why people think this way. Uh, but anyway, you know, this is, this was the natural progression was that, you know, you have, you have human drivers, you take on the taxi monopoly, you give people a bunch of jobs, you make people love it. And believe me, a lot of people loved it, including people that should have been a whole hell of a lot smarter. And then you rip all those jobs away, you know, you, and, and you, you put in autonomous cars. It happened. It's real. My, my theory ended up being absolutely true. And this is why I think one of the biggest backers of Uber was Google Ventures. Because obviously Google are, you know, Google spearheading uh, the driverless car and that these, you know, this was a part and parcel. So it's happening, folks. You know, I mean, there's I can see, yes, there could still be like a, a you know, a desire like perhaps in the, in apps, like in the Lyft app, which Lyft is a far superior service, uh, you know, in the Lyft app or in, you know, the Uber app, there, there could be a selection for, do you want a human driver or not or whatever? But I mean, granted, you know, if there's not enough demand for the human drivers, like not many people are going to do it, or maybe only some, some degree of hobbyists would do it, which that's, that's an interesting, you know, concept. Uh, but so maybe the human drivers won't go away entirely. I'm open to that, but, uh, but it's a good bet that, yeah, you know, someday they're, they're going to go the way of the dodo. So if you are, and I'm not knocking you for being, I, you know, that's great. Go make your money. That that's, that's cool. Uh, in fact, I know some just absolutely amazing people that work for Lyft and, and Uber, and I would, you know, I'd love to get in the car with them, uh, but, uh, you know, just saying, be aware of this, that this is coming, that, that, you know, and, and also this is a warning to like a lot of economists and all that. Please stop saying that, you know, that, that Uber and all this is this great thing for the economy and for, uh, you know, and for creating jobs and all this bullshit and the free market created jobs. No, actually it's going to yank them all away. I'm not knocking the free market. I'm just saying that, that Uber was never playing as a free market competitor in the first place ever. There you go. Uh, all right. What else we got here for the random access? Um, Aha, aha, here we go. Another little follow up. <laughs> Amazon Prime members are now going to be able to purchase groceries and, and, and not just groceries and other items, you know, household items, all this stuff, but Amazon branded. Now, I don't know if that necessarily is Amazon created, but it's going to be Amazon's private label. And you will only be able, and these are going to, as I understand it, these will come at a substantial discount, these groceries. Uh, and I mean, there's already, what is it? Prime pantry, right? Where you can, you know, you have to spend 50 bucks and you get this huge box and it's loaded with all those groceries and everything. Um, but they are, you know, this is going to come at a, a significant discount and you can only get it if you have an Amazon prime account. Now this is going to be very enticing for people, especially people in cities where you can get stuff delivered in the same day through what is that not not is it amazon now or something like that whatever it is within cities where you can get stuff in inside of like an hour one guy got something inside of like a half hour of ordering it uh just you know unbelievable and they're going to sell it at a, at a significant discount uh amazon i mean this is you know this is a costco play on amazon's part right 
And we've talked about this on Sovereign Tech. You know, of course, we call it the Amazon World Domination Tour. Uh, no other company is doing this. You know, Google has Google Express, where they're trying to get into deliveries and all this. Uber is trying to get into into deliveries. Um, again, you know, speaking of Uber, I've said on Sovereign Tech that really the only competition going on in Silicon Valley right now is between Uber and Amazon. Everybody else is really, you know, very much behind the times. And I'll prove that more uh, when we get into our main story this week. Okay, but none of these companies have what you know are as far ahead of taking the digital space and having it mean something in meat space as Amazon is. They're not even close. Um, I know some people like we're going to talk about with, with Google IO, they announced Google home, which is supposed to take on the Amazon echo. Uh, and people are saying, well, Google Home is actually better than the Echo. No, I don't think you're going to find it's better than the Echo when, you know, you can talk to your Echo and you can get your groceries, your entire grocery list. You can just say it out loud and get it sent to you at a significantly less cost than any grocery store you could go to. And right to your house inside of, a, you know, well, inside of a few hours. Yeah, uh, sorry, Google Home's not going to compete with that. And it can't particularly in the area of price, you know, et cetera. But you're going to have to have an Amazon Prime account. Now, this is what I was saying is that the whole everything that Amazon is doing is all about getting you to pay for that subscription. That is their whole key. That's their business model. And right now they're winning because, as we've said on Sovereign Tech for years, Amazon never turned a profit like their investment sheets. I mean, you know, their investment calls, all of it looked terrible. Now, they're one of the few companies where they're, you know, their stock's going through the roof right now because all of this is finally paying off. You know, all of these ideas have finally come to fruition and it doesn't hurt that they created an entire new tech category uh, with the Amazon Echo that everybody's copying. And in fact, you know, I'll give I'll give Google, you know, Alphabet slash Google just a little bit of credit here. They even when they announced their Google Home competitor, they even admitted that Amazon, they, they mentioned Amazon by name. They said Amazon created a new category. I'll give you credit for for at least because and, and I'm sure on, on Google's part, this is them just making sure that they're not Apple, because that's what Apple does. Right. Is they come out with something at the dead last and often it's inferior and they, uh, you know, they claim like they invented it, like they invented the whole idea. No one else ever came up with a shit kind of like, you know, Surface and the iPad Pro. Um. Yeah, Google was making sure they didn't fall into that paradigm and good for them. Like seriously, good for them for not pretending like somehow they invented something that nobody else had ever thought of when actually there's superior versions of the product out there, which as it stands, granted no one's held a Google Home yet or you know, no one's really used it or tested it in the wild. Uh I you know, just on paper it looks like the Amazon Echo is the superior product. Uh just based upon what you can actually do with with your, you know, Amazon Prime account and all this. But you know, that that again, that Amazon Prime account matters because that's the only way the Echo works. I guess maybe that'll be an advantage over, you know, with the Google Home is that you don't have to pay to be a part of the ecosystem with the Echo, you've got to have that Prime account. Uh, just wow. Anyway, <laughs> I want to save the rest of that for Google I.O. because it, it's really worth talking about um, here. Uh, more interesting news. This is coming kind of coming out of nowhere. And I'm, I don't want to spend too much time on this topic, but uh, I'm, I'm a little little I'm, I'm excited and skeptical at the same time. Uh, Nintendo 
And by the way, thank you to everybody who said they really loved uh, ha- having game talk back in the show. I appreciate that. I, I love talking about it. We've got a doozy in this week's episode. Um, but Nintendo will be make. They are now apparently going to be making movies. They're not only doing that. They're doing all kinds of shit. <laughs> they are apparently going to open up restaurants. Uh, there, there was a. Uh, yeah, and at an investors meeting, uh, there was a whole bunch of, as I understand it, there was a whole bunch of stuff laid out and they have tons and tons of plans uh, for all kinds of wild stuff. And this is interesting because much like Amazon created a new category, really, Nintendo is one of the rare companies in in the entire world that genuinely innovates and does quantum leaps and pushes things forward. Uh, and I mean, it. they do quantum leaps. They are the antithesis of incrementalism. Uh, and honestly, they can show that it pays off. Uh, you just, you've got to do it right. You've got to make it fun. We'll talk more about that later. Um, but they are going to be making movies now. I'm, I'm excited for that. Like I would, I'd love to see a Zelda movie. I'd love to see a Metroid movie. Uh, I honestly, as long as it's a, you know, this is one of the cases where I wouldn't mind a remake, uh, a remake of super Mario brothers. <laughs> Cause boy, that original one. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, th- this is a good idea. However, I'm a little concerned. Now, this isn't Nintendo doing this, but there were there was announcements that there's going to be a Tetris movie. Actually, it's a Tetris trilogy. Need I say more? Like, I love Tetris. One of the greatest games ever made. Dr. Mario's better, but Tetris is one of the greatest games ever made. What the fuck kind of movie are you? And it's supposedly, I think it's going to be like a science fiction thriller. Uh, I, I don't. I don't believe it. Like, the, the, and how I don't, how does a studio, like I saw it on Twitter and I tweeted about it myself. I mean, like the, the absolute negative reaction and unbelievability over this. I don't get it. How does Hollywood not see that reaction and go, what the fuck? Like, no, we're not going to put money into this. This is going to, you know, this is going to, this is going to bomb. This is going to be terrible. I don't get it. I, I, I don't know how that happens unless. What you know? One of my one of my ideas, theories on sovereign tech is that a lot of the you know a lot of these these Twitter grassroots hashtag movements and all this different stuff, unless Hollywood knows that ninety nine percent of things that trend on Twitter and on social media in general are bullshit and created by you know by the media itself, and so they're not going to pay any attention to it and they'll just release it anyway. Like that, it doesn't make any sense because that, that's sort of the argument that you get today uh, from a lot of people, you know, speaking of advertisers and sponsors is that, well, you know, what do your metrics look like? How do we know, you know, uh, well, OK, your numbers on social media aren't up to snuff. And I'm not saying that's true for me. I'm saying for, you know, for a lot of other people, uh, you know, uh, what, how, how are the, you know, how do these numbers work and all this stuff? You know, uh, you hear from all of these companies and business, you, you know, you hear from business in general that they they want to see these supposedly very solid metrics, which we've shown on Sovereign Tech, they're not solid metrics at all. None of them are. Um, in fact, Gary Vanderchuk, uh, the entrepreneur, he he wrote an article in Medium this week that said the social media numbers are absolutely meaningless. Uh, you know, it's it's all about impact. Uh, you know, the, the, the amount of numbers you have, the amount of likes, the amount of followers, all that stuff, none of that means shit, uh, which, you know, good for Gary on that one. But you know, if you have if, if supposedly all of these businesses run off of these metrics, uh, this Tetris movie should have been, you know, shot down, you know, lit on fire and put to bed instantaneously the next day. They should have said, no, we're not doing this. 
So I, I don't get it. I don't understand that. Uh, but and there's other movies coming out, too. There's going to be a movie on, uh, based on Missile Command. I think there's going to be a movie based on Asteroids. Now, I'm not saying those can't be great movies, but how about, you know, release maybe like solid modern renditions of the games again? And you can do it. Like, I remember in 96, uh, or was it 96 or 97, when the, the Asteroids remake for, for, PlayStation, for the PlayStation 1 came out. That was great. It was really, really good. Uh, and, of course, you have Asteroid Outposts, which is, which is out there now, which, well, whatever. Uh, so I, I don't know how I feel about this. There's this weird, Hollywood is definitely pulling. They're pulling on the nostalgia strings, and they're not only doing that, but they're trying to appeal to a sense of history that that they can't themselves create because they're not willing to put any risk capital in, in any new properties. So they're trying to appeal. Like, do you get what I'm saying? They're, they're making these movies. They're making a missile command movie because it gives it, it gives the, it kind of gives an air of credibility to, to the film right out of the gate because it's based off of something that was originally released, you know, 30 years ago. But that's only because they're not willing, you know, to try and create, you know, entire new mythologies like Star Wars or, or something like that. Uh, I mean, everything's a remix, no doubt about that. But this really goes to show the the extreme lack of originality uh, that that Hollywood has. I mean, they 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 remade Ben Hur. It's coming out this summer. There's no need to remake that. Just put it back in theaters. Oh, but you can't make any good money off of it anymore. Oh, I see. Yeah, no respect for art. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> I could go on for uh, about that forever. Um, another another little update. I believe it was last week we talked about the uh, the, the situation where uh, a gentleman had his uh, his iTunes or you know all of his music on his Mac was deleted from the piece from his Mac, uh, and be, all because he set up you know Apple Music and iTunes Match and all this different stuff. Um, Apple has released a patch for iTunes this week to supposedly fix it. The problem is, is they said they could not replicate the problem. Well, if you can't replicate the problem, how exactly can you fucking fix it? But it is interesting that they are coming, you know, I mean, maybe this is just, this patch is just some degree of PR and, you know, maybe the guy somehow screwed up or whatever. Okay. Uh, but you know, a lot more people came out, you know, came out about this and enough of a stink was made that they, you know, Apple felt like they needed, uh, needed to do something. Um, but they did it. Apple did admit that they could see where this could happen. They don't, they can't replicate it, but they admit that there is a situation in where this could occur. So all these people saying, well, the guy was a dumbass. No, Apple admitted that, a, you know, there are the, the glitch exists, the bug exists to where this could occur. There you have it. Go ahead and keep uploading all your shit and, uh, you know, go ahead and keep trusting your stuff to, you know, to all these, these companies that, well, anyway, you can listen to last week's episode if you want to hear my thoughts, um, on all of that, a uh, little Twitter news. They are now granted. I was disappointed when, the, when, when uh, they came out and said that they weren't going to update the, uh, Twitter, you know, the character, uh, max character count to, they're going to put it up to 10,000 instead of 140 characters. Uh, I was disappointed by that, but they are kind of doing a, a bit of a compromise and they are going to make it so that uh, hashtags or, or not. No, not hashtags. Uh, they're going to make it so that links and pictures do not take up any of the 140 characters, which previously they, you know, they took up maybe 23 characters or something like that. Uh, and all, you know, some people had said, and that's fine. I mean, I'm glad that they're doing that. Uh, some people had said that they wished that, uh, you know, when you put in, um, 
a username that, you know, that shouldn't count either. But I'll admit, I can see why they didn't use the username, why they didn't do the username thing. Because if you if you allow for infinite usernames, uh, people are going to get spammed the shit out of on on Twitter. It's one of the few nice features about Twitter is that you can't just you know, like send at everybody. You're going to have to do separate tweets or something like this. Uh so I mean maybe would I rather have it that that the username, you know, didn't count? Yeah, I I'd take the risk and rather have it, but I can understand why they didn't do that. You know, I I can actually appreciate why that why that's so. Um another thing. Now this if if you go to zog.ninja, this is one of the this is a story from a couple days back, and I have to thank uh, the amazing Pixel. If it, of course Pixel still gets mentioned in our new uh, our new intros, um, but she uh, she had brought to my attention not not directly but you know just on her own Twitter account uh, that ab- about a, a really cool this is an awesome idea uh, the idea of. Encrypting text and encrypting it as in making it not re- not necessarily encrypting it, but making it not readable by image recognition software. Uh, and it's called ZXX. And you can go to you can type in zomiaofflinegames.com slash ZXX and you can find my write up about it. Uh, but the idea is, is making it, making it so that image recognition, you know, can't, can't read what you wrote down. And, and it's, it's a, it's all, you know, it's a typeface that allows for that. Um, Admittedly, some people say, well, you know, eventually the recognition software will, will get around it. You know, it should be a morphing, you know, to some degree, a, you know, a morphing t- a typeface and all that. And I think that's good. And hopefully that'll come down the line. I understand that point And I agree with it. Uh, but this is great because it really is opening up. It, it is starting that conversation saying we need to be able to write stuff down that, you know, cameras can't read, that doesn't get stored, et cetera, that just, you know, ends up looking like gibberish. Uh, now, Maybe a year or two ago, we talked about on Sovereign Tech how cursive handwriting supposedly could not be read by image recognition software of whatever type. Um, no longer. I don't think that's true anymore. I don't think I don't think that cursive like I think cursive can be read by image recognition software today, uh, but or image recognition technology, I guess I should say. Um, but this is heading in, the you know, ZXX is a movement in the right direction to where we are creating that. Uh, because you should be able to write stuff down, you know, without the without the, the possibility of something, you know, potentially reading it uh, for whatever reason. You know, I mean, there, there's all kinds of great applications for this. You can check out my write up about it, but I just wanted to mention it. Um, ZXX is the name of the typeface. and You, you can find it if you go to ZOG.Ninja. Um, I did a write up about it. Uh, another one here. <laughs> another point proven. Boy, this just happens every week. Uh, <laughs> BitTorrent Live. Now, this is interesting. BitTorrent Live is a streaming video service that's almost live. It's a little bit off of live just because it's using the BitTorrent protocol. And so it's not exactly real time. But that's okay. I mean, honestly, live television isn't exactly real time either, is it? Uh, You know, it's off by a few seconds so that they can be able to hit the bleep button and whatever else. Uh, But BitTorrent Live and some shows already on it. The Twit Network's already on it. There's some others. Uh, This is this is a really cool idea because it is peer to peer television. That's literally what it is. Now, what it proves is what I've been saying for a long time. Now, granted, what BitTorrent, as in BitTorrent Inc., BitTorrent, the company, you know, run by Bram Cohen, uh, who, as far as I can tell, is a pretty good guy. Uh, BitTorrent 
Inc. You know, none of their stuff is open source, unfortunately. I mean, the BitTorrent protocol, you know, is a little bit different, but you know, everything else that they do, uh, you know, they have BitTorrent Sync. Um, they have uh, what's their messaging service? Uh, well, now I can't think of their messaging service. Uh, Blink is it? Maybe it's Blink something like, or bleep, maybe it's bleep. Uh, they have their messaging service. Of course they have project maelstrom, uh, which is an entire peer to peer internet. You know, it's an internet that it's a browser that doesn't use URLs. It uses magnet links. All, you know, I have been saying for a while, I said, BitTorrent is creating an entire alternative worldwide web infrastructure. You know, they're not necessarily making an entire alternative Internet as to where there's like, you know, they're laying out their own cables in line or anything. Uh, but, you know, well, that could happen or maybe they'd use Li-Fi or something like that. Um, but they are creating, you know, an entire alternative worldwide web. That's really exciting. It sucks that it's not open source. I mean, that really sucks. And maybe one day that'll change. But now you have I mean, you effectively have a Netflix of sorts. Uh, or not, you know, more than a Netflix, you have live television over this protocol. You have, you know, a, a, a superior cloud storage solution, even though again, not open source, uh, you have, I mean, and, and it's, I mean, a lot of their projects admittedly need a little bit of work. Okay. Like bleep, their messaging service needs a lot of work. Project Maelstrom still in its early days. Uh, you, you know, it needs some work, but the groundwork is there and it looks good. Uh, and so th this is really, really exciting that that whole, you know, my my dream, one of my biggest dreams out of Sovereign Tech is to have, you know, multiple internets. OK, that's plural internets. And BitTorrent is a company that's making that really happen. And it's not just like some kind of I mean, you could say it's a walled garden. I, I could I would I would understand that. But it's something that is like that operates in a completely different way and it operates in a peer to peer way, which is really great, which, you know, differentiates it from a lot of other people that are creating genuine walled gardens like Facebook, Google, uh, you know, and, and Verizon and others. Um, so I thought that that was really cool, uh, you know, with BitTorrent Live. Uh, all right. Let's see. Uh, you know, and and just to prove my point that I've been theorizing for a while that, yes, BitTorrent is they are going all the way. They are going to create an entirely new World Wide Web that people can use. And one day they are going to announce this and you're going to see all these pieces in place that, you know, most other tech shows don't even bother to fucking talk about. Uh, and, you know, and then you're going to say, well, Golden Stallion, man, did you put those, did you put that puzzle together nicely? Uh, so anyway, that just saying, um, all right, last bit of news. So I, I did a couple weeks ago, I did a, a Twitter poll. They have polls where you can ask questions or whatever. And I asked sovereign tech listeners, what, operating systems do you use? And also people, I, you know, I gave the option for people to, uh, you know, message me to let me know. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it got great response and I appreciate that. And the reason I asked the question was because, you know, is it really worth my time to talk about windows? And this is important because honestly, a lot of these BitTorrent technologies, strangely, many of them only work on windows. So, or, you know, or at least they, they start out on windows, their beta begins on windows. Uh, so, you know, that, that, take that. I want it. Um, and so I, you know, I, I wanted to know, like, is it worth my time to, you know, to talk about windows stuff because windows isn't open source. Microsoft has done very ugly shit, uh, in the past few months, including, you know, their update cycle with windows 10, you know, forcing that upon people, which is just insane. Uh, the, 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 the bullshit they pulled with OneDrive. Of course I, I ranted about that to no end. Um, you know, where they, where they removed, uh, 
people initially were given unlimited storage and then they said, oh, no, actually, we're going to give you one terabyte. You know, we and, and you're a bunch of abusers, which you can't abuse when you're using something as advertised. That's not abuse. Whatever. Uh, so, I, you know, I asked the question and come to find out most of the listeners of this show uh, or at least over, I should say, over half of the listeners of this show use Windows. So there is worth my while, to, you know, to talk about and, you know, something that gets released for Windows or to talk about Microsoft here and there. Um, a lot. The second most used was uh, was Ubuntu or Linux. Anyway, I, I kind of put those together uh, and that, that was a substantial amount. Um, and then, uh, you know, there was there was some uh, OS uh, Mac OS. It's not OS 10 anymore. Uh, Mac OS users uh, as well. Uh, but largely it was it was Linux and Windows. So, you know, there you go. If you wonder why does, you know, somebody that's so into, you know, open source and all of this talk about Windows? Well, a large part of my audience uses it. So there it is. It's the backbone of their computer world. Um, and I end up, ha you know, I end up not having, I shouldn't say have to, no one's put a gun to my head. Um, but for some of the business that I do, uh, yes, a Windows laptop is needed to do that business. And so I do use one. Um, all right. Now let's get into, let's finally get into the main story. <laughs> a lot of random access there. Um, you know, and actually I'll ask, the, I'll put the question to you. If you want to get in touch with me, whatever way you want to contact zog.ninja, if you just want to let me know on Twitter, um, if you think the random access is ever too long, let me know. I'm just curious. I'm curious about your listening habits to some degree. Uh, but you know, and if you want to just use the contact form at zog.ninja, that'll keep you completely anonymous. I really don't, you know, I, I don't want your information. I have no, I don't even want your email address. I have no desire for that, get, for that thing. Okay. I am not going to make a big list and sell it off to some company for thousands of dollars and, and give you some shitty ebook in place of that. Uh, you know, like some other people in the space that I roll and do, uh, that's, that's not, I'm not interested in that. Okay. <laughs> but when I ask a question, yeah, I just, I'd like to know. Uh, so anyway, all right, main story, let's get into talking about Google IO. Uh, Google IO was, th this was for 2016. This was probably the biggest one I've seen in maybe three years. Uh, 2013 was may maybe the last large one. That's where Larry Page did that kind of creepy speech, uh, you know, with the entire planet behind him that I thought was a little, a little odd, uh, but Google IO 2016 was, I mean, they, now they didn't, so here's what's weird. They didn't really release anything at all. Like it was all just saying, this is what's coming. This is what's coming. And you got to feel, you know, I'm annoyed by that. One of the things I love that Apple would do is that like when Steve Jobs were, or, you know, well, Tim Cook will, in his very boring way will often uh, do this as well. Uh, you know, when they talk about a new product, They'll say, and it's available on our store right now. I like that. You know, don't, don't reveal the hand until it's the, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I get it that, that that's, that's the way to do things in my opinion. Um, but Google, everything that they talked about is all coming into the future. And there was no new other than the Google, Google home. There was really no new hardware announced. There's the, the, the VR stuff. We'll talk about that. Um, but there wasn't like a new phone announced. There wasn't a new tablet announced, which I was expecting a new tablet to get announced because the Nexus nine was taken down from the Google store. Uh, and there was already talk that HTC was working on a successor to the Nexus nine. So it's kind of weird that there is no premium, you know, tablet 
or well, there's the Pixel C, I guess, right? Which that that thing's kind of an odd monstrosity. But maybe it's all was an effort to just get people to buy the Pixel C. Uh, but yeah, other than the Pixel C, there's no other real real tablet out there from Google, which is you know, there's no Nexus tablet, uh, which is kind of I think is kind of odd and and because you know for the past few years it hasn't been that way you've always had a nexus 7 or a nexus 10 or something like that you've always had some kind of an ipad competitor uh as to where the pixel c isn't like isn't an ipad competitor in the sense that what's the what's the ipad that most people own oh the ipad's so popular well which one do people own the most owned ipad is the ipad 2 uh so there's no nexus device out there that directly competes with the likes of the iPad 2. Uh, the Pixel C obviously competes with the iPad Pro. Uh, and of course, both of those products, the iPad Pro and the Pixel C, are absolute, unabashed copies of the Microsoft of Microsoft Surface. They're just they're copies. They're not innovations at all. Um, and and that goes to say a little more about, you know, speaking of innovation, that goes to say a lot more of, of what Google I.O. 2016, you know, kind of showed to me is that this is a company that has that has no innovations. None. Um, they like they, they've stopped innovating. It's it's it, like it's over for them. They It is a has been company. That is the I mean, I got that message from Apple as well, uh, <laughs> uh, quite frankly. And yeah, I mean, and Microsoft, you know. Yeah, the Surface Book was very cool, and and like the way they presented everything was really great. Um, but they, you know, they've definitely backpedaled on their innovation as well as to where they were were for a brief moment with Satya Nadella. We're starting to really, actually begin to innovate. Um, there, it's just a company that's pivoting. But so none of you know a lot of these companies don't innovate. Uh, Amazon has innovated. Uh, there was one interesting thing out of Google I/O that I thought was positive. I'll save that for last and on a high note. Uh, but so let's talk about Google Home. Um, I already mentioned it briefly. The idea, the idea is, is it is a competitor. And like I said, kudos to Google for admitting that Amazon created an entire new category. Um, and, and for, you know, saying Amazon's name, I mean, Apple just would never, ever do that. Apple's like Disney to where, you know, they never credit the writers, um, you know, or the original creators or the original works. They just pretend that they invented it all, uh, which, you know, fuck them. Um, so I'll give Google the credit for that. Uh, Google Home will, it, it's, you know, it's a little, it's just like the Echo in, in many ways, where it's a standalone little device. Um, and as far as I know, it only allows for one account. Like you're, you can log in with your Google account. And this is where the device shines in a conventional sense, uh, because it allows you to interact with everything you have in Google, which in the digital sense is substantial. You know, your Gmail, uh, your, you know, not that anybody uses Google Plus, um, you know, even the new Google Spaces, which I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, all of, you know, all of these different Google products that you use, Google Docs, whatever, all of that could get interact, you know, in your calendar, of course, all of that can interact um, with Google Home. Uh, that is, you know, that that's that's a winning recipe, I'll admit. And there's Google fanboys that are going to completely jump on that uh, and take advantage of it. Now, myself, Google Home and, you know, which is all part of IoT, and I'm sure Google Home will connect to various IoT products uh, as well to some degree. Uh, it was interesting. Nothing, you know, Nest was not mentioned at all at Google IO. That's probably because Nest is not making any money and, you know, it's going to it's going to get consumed somehow into this whole new Google home branding. Uh, it like, this is definitely, you know, Google home is an IOT device. Uh, 
you know, is it, it is an internet of targets. I'm sorry. Internet of shit. Ugh. Internet of things. Sorry. It is an internet of things device. Uh, so you would think that it would be branded as a nest device, but I think the, I think nest has such negative, uh, you know, baggage, marketing baggage going with it now, uh, that they've, they've strayed away from it. So it's Google Home. Uh, th- now there will probably be a bunch of new products that will work with the ecosystem of Google Home, you know, physical uh, uh, devices. And yeah, it does. You know, I'll admit it. Just like I think Alexa's redundant, but people love it. Um, Google Home seems particularly redundant, in my opinion. Uh, first off, because it cannot provide the, you know, the real world, the meat space advantages, like I said earlier, that the Amazon Echo does. At least they can't do that right now. And it's years behind to even be able to do that. Um, also, I didn't see anything that really said it's just that much better, you know, than the Amazon, uh, than the Amazon Echo. Uh, so, you know, that I don't, I don't think it has enough to really differentiate it. Um, and Google doesn't, yeah, there's Google fanboys out there, but it's not the same, like really rabidness when, you know, when Apple releases something and then just plenty of people buy it just because it says Apple on it, even if it's an incredibly inferior product, like say the Apple TV in, in comparison, you know, to, to anything else out there, like the shield TV blows away the Apple TV, you know, 10 to one. I think anybody would admit to that. Um, so I, you know, I don't get it. And also I hate the fact that, you know, I don't trust Amazon Echo or, you know, Google Home. I mean, these are effectively constantly plugged in or, you know, some of them are portable uh, microphones that are just listening at all times. And I, I think and, and there was recently uh, someone actually I think a reporter questioned uh, a representative of the FBI. You know, are you using the Amazon Echo or whatever to listen into people? And he said he couldn't confirm or deny it. I mean, that, you know, in government parlance, that's admitting that you use it. Really? Uh, so, you know, you're, you're putting a giant spy device in your, you know, in, in your home. But, it, but that's also, I mean, and, and a lot of people bring that point up. And then, of course, the immediate response is, well, you have a smartphone, don't you? That's the same deal. Yeah, it's true. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't argue that point. But that also shows the redundancy of Google Home is that apparently, you know, it's all, you know, Google Home is just this little hardware cylinder, whatever, that is supposed to, you know, be Google now in your house. Well, you already have Google now in your phone, you know, all the time. And most people, you know, keep their phones charged and all this. Um, I really see it as a redundant device. I think people are going to find it to be that as well, because it doesn't offer, again, it does not offer those meat space advantages and those lower prices that, uh, you know, that the Amazon Echo does. So I don't think this is a winner, uh, but it is also, you know, this is also kind of the premier product to show off what's called Google Assistant, which I think this is sort of a rebranded Google now. Uh, and it's definitely designed to take on Siri, Cortana and Alexa. Uh, and, you know, nothing, nothing really exciting here. It's it's Google now with, uh, you know, with a better voice interface that, that that's more or less the, the gist um, that I got out of it. Again, none of this stuff is in the real world. So, you know, Google can say whatever it wants, uh, you know, about, you know, that this product is this and does this and does this uh, until people are actually using it. You know, you got to got to kind of question how that's all going to roll out. 
Um, so Google Assistant, nothing exciting there. I mean, yeah, it's an AI. It's supposed to be really good at search and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but yeah, not not blowing up my skirt in, in any way. And I don't really care for these digital assistants anyway. Now, perhaps the most, uh, for a lot of people, the most quote-unquote exciting thing that was talked about were two new messaging apps. That is Allo, A-L-L-O, and Duo. Allo is a text uh, messaging service, and Duo is a is a video messaging, or, you know, a video call, and I, I assume audio as well. Uh, you know, I would assume that you could just do audio, not you don't have to do video, but it's a FaceTime competitor, effectively. Uh, these these were two of the big announcements. Uh, Google Assistant, first we'll start off with Allo. Google Assistant works directly um, with Allo, apparently. However, now this is something, this is where things get weird, okay? Uh, and initially, with, with both of these, with Allo and Duo, now Hangouts can do both of, you know, of, can do most of what these two services, you know, were designed to do. They can do the video calls and, and the text messaging and, and all of that. Uh so it's a good bet that Hangouts is is dead. They're saying it's not, but you know it, it might as well be right uh, because once these come out, once Allo and Duo come out, everybody's going to want to get on the new hotness, as it were, uh, and that's going to be gone. Uh, now, also Google Spaces came out, which this is kind of a. Uh, it really looked a lot like. It looked kind of like Trello, like it was kind of trying to be a Trello. It's this group. It's and and it looks kind of like Facebook groups, where it's this group sort of messaging and cooperation uh, uh, service. And that that rolled out before Google I.O. Um, I've tried it out. You can only max out like 500 people in Google Spaces. Uh, by and large, I didn't see anything there that really excited me or, you know, I guess, you know, if you're working with with certain with smaller groups, it could it could, you know, do a good job. And, and it is easy to make spaces within it. It's like creating little channels. But I don't. It, it didn't. It didn't really excite me with with Google Spaces. However, it is technically you know kind of a messaging service now. So here's the thing. So they Google announced Allo, Duo, and Spaces. Let's just say all last week, and which is shocking because and we talked about this on Sovereign Tech over a hundred episodes ago, where there was Project Babel, and Project Babel or Project Babel, depending on you know how you want to how you want to say it. And they, they are very different terms. <laughs> uh, but Project Babel by Google was supposed to be this unification of all of their different messaging services because they said, yeah, we've got a huge problem. We have voice. We have Gtalk. We have this. We have that. All these different disparate services. We want it all to make it simplified and put it all into one. And that was supposed to be Hangouts. Like, you know, how, how even Hangouts had uh, Google Voice integration, all of this. And so they recognized the problem they had with all these disparate services and they tried to bring it all together. Obviously, it failed. I mean, people have been complaining about Hangouts effectively since its inception. And now, you know, now Google's going the exact opposite direction by creating a bunch of new messaging services. I mean, that this is a company, again, that, that's really kind of lost its mind. <laughs> I, they, they've lost their direction. They don't know where they're going. Uh, and... With, so with Allo, I'll, I'll break into Allo a, a little bit more here. Allo allows for, of course, stickers, all this different stuff, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it allows for Google Assistant to kind of help you with recommendations and to, you know, like maybe input things or find things that you're trying to say based upon, you know, your calendar and whatever else in uh, text, you know, in, in a, a chat that you're having through Allo. 
But, you know, I, I can see the use for that. I don't know that that's really going to take off because it's effectively a bot. Google Assistant is acting as a bot. And Facebook Messenger, people are already you know, revolting against the bots because <laughs> these things are fucking annoying. Maybe Google's won't be annoying. Uh, but I don't know. As it stands right now, people are not getting very excited over these bots. Now, if they're doing something like, uh, uh, was it Shousey? Uh, is that the one by Microsoft where, you know, it kind of acts like the the AI from from her? Uh, maybe that would be a little bit different. But as I understand it, that's not how Google Assistant is going to be working. You're not going to have like these conversations with it uh, or, you know, these full on conversations and it'll respond to you kind of like Chelsea does, uh, which we talked about Chelsea when we did. There was the episode about uh, Microsoft's Tay chatbot, which, well, you saw where that went. Um, so now Allo also allows for and this was kind of the big shocker for a lot of people is that they were working with open whisper systems they're working with moxie marlin spike to put in the signal protocol into into allo now the you know after a fact like that that's great i'm glad because the signal protocol the axolotl protocol that's great it's the it's the, one of the best encryption schemes we've got awesome i'm glad you're putting that in there but then you come to find out that if you want to use google assistant with allo you cannot have that encryption turn on, as I understand it. And also, that encryption, that beautiful, wonderful, and I mean that, end-to-end -end encryption is not turned on by default. As to where, and I don't want to give Facebook any credit, with WhatsApp, it was turned on by default. This is, it's it's all bullshit because most, I mean, there is such a thing as what's called the tyranny of the default, that people will only use, you know, like default settings or default software and what's there. Uh and that can be a problem. I mean, there's advantages to default software, but, you know, that aside, that's a real problem because most people aren't going to take the time to go and turn that on. When Why even promote it if it's not automatically turned on? And this really highlights the problem with Google, the company overall, is that encryption is antithetical, like actual encryption that you control that hides stuff from Google's servers, which is what? The, you know, which is what the signal protocol does. It's end-to-end -end encryption. The server doesn't know what it is. It stands in stark contrast to Google's entire business model. They cannot survive in a world with encryption that, you know, with encryption, with end-to-end -end encryption. Long ago talked about that on Sovereign Tech, and I got a lot of shit for it because people said, oh, no, no, Google wants to do that. They can't. And I think the fact that it's not turned on by this, this great encryption is not turned on by default in Allo is proof that they can't. They need you. They need your information to survive. And I say starve them, <laughs> starve them of that shit. If you're going to use Allo, turn that end to end encryption on and fuck Google Assistant. Don't bother with that crap. Uh, so so that's garbage. Now, flip side uh, of Allo, th th there's Allo. I, I don't recommend it. If you want to use the signal protocol, just fucking use signal. Because, I mean, an Allo is, you know, some people asked they were concerned about signal running off of uh, phone numbers. And we talked about that. They use phone numbers because it's an easy verification uh, system. Uh, Allo will also use phone numbers. It does not use usernames as I understand, as, as they have talked about it. But they've, they've, Google, after I, after the first day of IO, they've kind of gone back and forth on various things. Uh, anyway, um, so now with Duo, which is this video, uh, uh, you know, service, kind of a Skype competitor of sorts, uh, they, that apparently is completely end to end encrypted. And I, I assume that they are also using, uh, this, you know, the signal protocol for that kind of like red phone or whatever. I like, they, they are saying is end to end encrypted. Of course, FaceTime is also end to end encrypted. Uh, but you know, it's not open source encryption. So 
that's that that's debatable um you know how encrypted it is so duo is a, duo is a little bit better off it is encrypted by default good that's great um and also uh well redphone doesn't allow for video does it i don't think so anyway <laughs> i rarely ever use that stuff um, but the interesting thing with with duo is there's a new feature in that to where when somebody calls and this this is going to get strange when somebody calls you you will see them for a few seconds, uh, it, like like before before they start the phone or, you know, before you pick up, like you kind of see it's sort of like it's sort of like these video answering services on your door, like or not video answer. I mean, yeah, those exist with like uh, was it the ring doorbell service or whatever or ring door blah, blah. OK, <laughs> the idea is, is that it's sort of like looking, you know, somebody knocks on your door and you can look through, you know, the little peephole to see who's there. And that is apparently how this will work, is that for a few seconds, as the person who is calling you with Duo, uh, you will be able to see them for a few seconds there. Now, this is a mistake, <laughs> in my opinion, and hopefully this can, is a feature that can get turned off, uh, because I could picture a lot of people doing a lot of really wacky shit uh, with that. And you are, in many ways, forced to see it. You know, that's why I say hopefully it's something that can get turned off because, I mean, I, I could I could think of all kinds of crazy ways that I would troll people, uh, you know, using the using this, uh, you know, to call somebody and, and doing just all kinds of horrendous things. So I think that's kind of dumb. If, if you want to understand that service more, of course, I mean, there's plenty of write ups about Google I.O. on the Internet right now. Um, so so that's Duo. And I, I mentioned Spaces and we talked about Allo. Uh, all of that. I just I'm I'm baffled by by google's move to suddenly create a shit ton more different messaging services when their plan was was to unify all of them this stands in absolute contrast to that and hangouts yeah hangouts might still exist as like a youtube live service of some sort but even then i think it's just going to end up becoming youtube live you know instead of uh instead of hangouts uh particularly so and you know the other thing too that i want to bring up is that I've mentioned this a few times, and I have to use it for various business reasons. Um, but the Line Messenger from the company, the Japanese company Line, uh, who also now end-to-end -end encrypts uh, at least their, their their chat messages, and they allow you to delete messages. That was another thing, too, is that Allo allows for kind of like what Telegram and, and Wicker and those other ones do, where you can delete the message. Uh, and maybe you can set time limits on all that, which that that's fine. Of course, unfortunately, if it's stored in Google service, uh, servers... You know, it wasn't end-to-end -end encrypted by default as it should be. Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe that will, you know, it's not really going to get deleted. It's like Snapchat. No, your Snapchats are not. Yes, they're deleted on your phone. They're deleted from the average person being able to see them. But it's a pretty good bet that Snapchat's holding on to them. Uh, anyway, so Line Messenger can do everything all in one unified little app that Google is trying to do right now. I mean, they're not using the signal pro protocol for encryption. I grant you that. Uh, but you can do encrypted texting. There's stickers. You can do video calls. You can do voice calls. Uh, hell, you, you can do. You can even do Google Spaces. They have groups built into Line. It's funny. Every I Facebook. I, I said this before on Sovereign Tech, but every company, as far as their messaging platforms go, are copying Line and WeChat all the way. Facebook's copying them. I mean. Southeast Asia, way ahead of the curve. Japan, way ahead of the curve, as usual, uh, you know, as far as, you know, technologies go. Um, just 
Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I don't know why no one else is bringing that up. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with making copycat products. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying, you know, if the services already existed and if the market signal supposedly exists where people want this sort of stuff, why aren't they using the previously existing services? Oh, they just nobody talked about it. Oh, I see. So you just wait to listen to your Google and Apple overlords uh, before you do something. Got it. Uh, no, I, I get it. Totally understand. Um, anyway. Boy, a lot of other stuff to talk about. Uh, Android N, they talked a little bit about that. Nothing necessarily exciting there. Um, I do want to talk about, uh, real quick, Android Wear 2.0. This was talked about. The, the major exciting thing here is that they said that now Android Wear apps, it exists within the developer console to make Android Wear apps act completely independently of the smartphone. Yes! About time! I said I've wanted this. I was like, look, I don't want an Android. I don't want a, a watch, a wearable that has to connect to my smartphone. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'm all for a wearable that replaces my smartphone entirely. And no one's seen, except for the LG Watcher Bane, second edition LTE. Yes, that's the name of it. And the, all the scandal around that. You can listen to old episodes of Sovereign Tech to find out about that. That was kind of going in that direction. Galaxy Gear devices have kind of gone in that direction to where they, you know, these watches have their own SIM cards and all of this. Um, now, finally, and way ahead, I think, of, of uh, you know, what is it, Watch OS? Is that what Apple calls theirs uh, for the Apple Watch? You know, now we have where apps can run completely independently on the smartphone, on, on the smartwatch, on the wearable. Awesome. Great. This was a good, this was good. Uh, I, I am totally on board with that. So, so good for Android Wear 2.0. That was, that was the real positive announcement, uh, I thought. Uh, another, but another positive announcement was Daydream. Now, Daydream is not a reference to the old Android screensaver that could come up. Uh, Daydream is now the new VR platform. Uh, based around Android. Uh, and this is interesting. So now if, uh, and I'll say this right out of the gate, if you are, if you are needing a new smartphone, either buy a really cheap one or, you know, and wait till the fall, or if you can just wait until the fall, until fall of 2016, because apparently, as I understand it, there are going to be daydream uh, certified phones, kind of like how there's Oculus certified, uh, you know, laptops and, and video cards and all this stuff where you're guaranteed that it'll work with this new platform. And Daydream is going to be, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's going to replace Google Cardboard, but it's kind of going to be the next level up of Google Cardboard. That's how I understood it. Uh, and so, I, you know, I am excited about that. Anything that makes this stuff more serious. Uh, granted, I was expecting, and I'd written about this at the Dark Android blog at darkandroid.info. Um, I was expecting, and a lot of people were expecting, you know, based upon various notes uh, and, and leaks, that there would be a independent, it's not smartphone-based, but a completely independent, independent Android virtual reality headset of some kind. That did not get announced. But what they did announce is that there are going to be, you know, Google is going to be creating their own Gear VR uh, and other partners will be able to make this and all of it will work with this daydream platform that is going to be baked right into the operating system, right into Android as to where Google cardboard is kind of a separate app and it works on its own. You know, daydream is going to be right in there and that that's the way to do it. Uh, the interesting thing is, is that this daydream platform, they, they released, they also showed you what the controller would be. It's a headset kind of like your VR and you put your phone in it. And then there is something that looks suspiciously like a Wiimote from the Nintendo Wii. Now this gets to my point about Nintendo is that Nintendo released, like I said, they're the real innovators. They're just, sometimes they're way too ahead of their time. 
the Wiimote. I mean, everybody's copying that. The Apple TV copied the Wiimote. And it's funny because people made fun of the Wii controller. They said, this is stupid. Nobody's going to use this. Well, apparently now it's the controller of the fucking future because every other big name company is using it. Uh, so you have the Wiimote, which is a great way to to interact with, you know, something being projected in front of you. And then also, you know, remember the Virtual Boy from the 90s. This was a headset, a virtual reality headset that you strapped onto your head and that worked independently. That's exactly what they've created with, you know, with the, with the, the whole daydream thing. So I'm excited about it. I'll admit it. I, you know, I wish it wasn't Google, but I'm excited about it. But hey, they're all just copying Nintendo. I'll be back with more. All right, Savernati, it's that time where I tell you about, look, if you want, if you are serious about cold storage, if you are serious about decentralization, if you are serious about securing your goods, I want to implore you to get your hands on some precious metals. Okay. Gold, silver, platinum, palladium, whatever, coins, bars, whatever. Get your hands on it. And I want you to do it through the best, the absolute best in the world. And I mean, you know, we're talking about how fast Amazon can get stuff to you. I'm telling you, this company could get things to me faster than Amazon could ever dream of in New Hampshire. Roberts and Roberts brokerage. This is Tim Fry. This is this guy's full on freedom lover all the way. Loves Bitcoin too. If you want to get it with some Bitcoin, he prefers Bitcoin at Roberts and Roberts. This is the one of the best businesses on the planet today, in my opinion. You want to get your hands on it. Gold.zog.ninja. That's the website. Okay. Or you can go to rrbi.co and just let him know that the Golden Stallion tell you. Believe me, Tim Fry will know who you're talking about. He listens to, he's a fan of the show. Roberts and Roberts, they've been in business. It's been in business for over 40 years. Uh, Tim Fry has been running for, for a good long while. He is the man. You want to be buying from him. He's going to make sure you get taken care of. Okay. Head over to gold.zog.ninja. Decentralize your wealth. Get some real cold storage. Doesn't get any colder than gold and silver, baby. <laughs> now, let's get back to some Sovereign Tech. And thank you to Roberts and Roberts Brokerage for supporting uh, and sponsoring Sovereign Tech. <laughs> Pixel. Pixel, I'm being chased by assassin bots. I need an exit. Pixel. <laughs> Brian Sovlin, come with me if you want to leave. Who are you? I'm Adelaide. I'll tell you more later. Get in the vehicle. Get in a car with a scantily clad and beautiful woman? Guess it's been my first choice before. Let's go. First choice. It is time for First Choice, where I cover the stories that get sent in to me through the various channels available. Of course, go to contact.zog.ninja uh, to find those channels. And this the story that I'm going to do this week that somebody sent in, and it's a great one, um, it actually dovetails pretty nicely off of what we were just talking about um, with, you know, how do you interface with a lot of this technology? Daydream is definitely going to be, I mean, and they showed uh, some mock-ups of what Daydream looks like. And it looks pretty cool. Like the, the, the whole OS, it looks very similar uh, to, we talk, oh boy, we hadn't talked about this in a long time, but uh, Mozilla came out with like a Firefox VR, where like a VR web browser. And it seems to work a lot like that. Uh, and I mean, and, and they're already ready. They're going to be releasing YouTube, uh, you know, VR and all this stuff, all that's going to work with Daydream. Uh, so again, 
do, you know, if you're looking for a new smartphone, if you're excited about virtual reality, hold out for these daydream certified phones. Don't grab something uh, right now. Or if you do make sure it's really inexpensive, um, or, you know, don't spend a ton of money on it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, this this is a story from Recode, and it's kind of a shocking headline. It's sort of short, uh, so I'm going to go through the whole thing, and then I, I, I want to comment on it because I think there's some real issues here. Uh, and it's, someday you'll have no screens in your life. The stuff on our desks and in our pockets is disappearing. In 20 years, it'll be gone. And this is by David Bozuski, uh, just from... Uh, actually May 17th. So this is pretty fresh. Let's read it. Dozens of everyday office tools have been absorbed since the uh, quote unquote absorbed since the 1970s, including calendars, Rolodexes, dictionaries, maps, books, media players, file cabinets, fax machines, and wired phones. Most legacy office devices are already commonly emulated with a web connected smartphone or laptop. What's left in the toolbox of a typical tech worker is a laptop with charger, smartphone, earbuds, wallet, or purse and keys. Um, and stallion breaking in. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's almost exactly what I keep in my, in my man bag or my, my merce, my man. Purse. Uh, and let's keep reading. This disappearing act has been stealthily under, uh, underway since the advent of the PC. It will soon be possible to walk into a Starbucks without a phone or laptop and browse the web, video chat with friends, or edit a spreadsheet. By the mid-2020s, so we got some prediction going on here, by the mid-2020s, your wallet, keys, and laptop uh, brick will no longer be needed. Keys will be absorbed into smartphones as early as 2017, uh, when Volvo offers vehicles that can uh, be opened and started with a phone. Uh, this feature should be available in most vehicles by 2025. Uh, the laptop charging brick is quietly being left at home. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to stop for a second here, and because I, I want to touch on some of this one by one. Um, the whole key thing... Sorry, that's a recipe for your car getting stolen. Uh, in fact, uh, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy's dad recently purchased a car, and he told them, because he had the option to get one where it didn't, um, you know, where, where it didn't have, where it had keyless entry, not just keyless entry, but like you didn't need the key at all. And he said, no, 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 no. I know what happens, you know, with, with cars that don't have the keys. You give me a, you know, you give me a key. And kudos to him. Great guy. Uh, I, I, I really appreciated that. I mean, so and, and you know, this is a guy, you know, from from a bit of an older generation and he appreciated and understood, you know, what exactly is going on today. Uh, so I'd, I the idea of keyless entry is crap. Now, granted, locks in general outside of the cars. OK, you know, say with home locks and all this stuff, um, locks really only keep out honest people that that that's that's the truth. Um, <laughs> you know, but I certainly am not prepared to have, you know, all my locking mechanisms, uh, you know, be, be done through, you know, say, say through my watch and, you know, or, you know, through a, through a wearable, um, or being done, you know, without, without keys and all this. Uh, I, I think that that's, that's unnecessary technology and it's not, well, I, I mean, you can imagine that your door locks, your locks are going to somehow get controlled and connected to the cloud in some way. And then this is just going to be another way that people track you. Oh, he went into house at, into his house at this time. Oh, he started his car at this time, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I just I, I think that that's a complete unnecessary recipe for privacy disaster. Um, I, I 
there's there's no point to that. I mean, if you want to set up something like locally, but again, nobody's offering you that sort of thing because they know the real money is in collecting your data and selling that off to advertisers or in, you know, allowing them to get purchased by Google so that they can increase, uh, you know, the, the data profile they have of everybody on the planet, uh, you know. That that's that's really about uh, nobody really gives a shit about the consumer anymore. Uh, so I think that that's a that's a terrible idea. It may come to fruition. This writer might be right, uh, but that's certainly not a future that excites me in any way. Uh, so anyway, keys still need to be a thing. Um, let, let's read on here. Uh, this or yeah, the laptop charging brick is quietly being left at home as the battery life of laptops has increased over the past 15 years. Uh, driven by advances in mobile technology, top laptops are pushing the magic 12 hour battery life zone. Now, I'll stop there on that one. Uh, that's true. Like that part's true. In fact, uh, the laptop that recently, you know, uh, that a Sovereign Tech listener very kindly, uh, uh, you know, equipped me with. This thing, I can get 16 hours on this thing. Granted, it's not a powerhouse. I'll talk more about it during the during the climax. Okay, but 16 fucking hours. <laughs> That's insane. And I'm recording the podcast on it right now. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> you know, so that that part's true. Fine, you leave the brick at home. And honestly, the bricks are so small these days. The the cords are bigger than the bricks. Whatever. That I don't think that means much to me. Uh, but anyway. Reading on, and the main two uh, main uh, two main items in our wallets, a driver's license and credit card, will soon be available on our smartphones. Iowa has piloted a project to offer smartphone driver's licenses, and Visa, Mastercard, Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, and Google Wallet are engaged in the battle for digital smartphone payments everywhere. Uh, of course, not a shock. Rico didn't care to mention Bitcoin. Or maybe something like Zcash, which I'm very excited about and talked about many times on this show. Uh, yeah. Okay. So the driver's license thing. Yeah. I don't think people need to have IDs. So fuck it. That, that's fine. That, that, that doesn't need to be in a wall. <laughs> like that's the future I want to go to. Not because it's all done on my, uh, on my phone, but because who gives a shit? Like, I don't think people need to have IDs. Um, and boy, if you've never just listen back to sovereign tech episodes, tyranny of identity and all that, uh, all right. As far as the wallet thing, yeah, digital payments are interesting. Um, I still think there's something to be said for losing uh, the anonymity that, you know, real cash uh, offers you and that physical money kind of offers you. And I can't say this enough. It's really been shown that it, it, by by the fact that a lot of companies, Google, Apple and others have retroactively added offline features to all of their apps. The fact is there are, I don't think it's going to roll out fast enough, certainly not in the next 20 years to where there is just, you know, constant connection to like this one centralized place where, you know, you could buy things from now, maybe if it's, if it's a cryptocurrency of some kind, maybe that could work. Cause there'd be some kind of, you know, peer to peer, you know, some mesh networking, you know, in all these various places. Um, but, and I know there's people that are excited that they should say that the wallet shouldn't exist. Everything should be in the smartphone. And if you want that, I get it. Uh, but yeah, it's probably going to be the future. They're probably right that it's going to be the future. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good thing, uh, or that it's going to work as advertised. And, it, you know, it's just going to take a couple times where somebody can't pay to get off of a train or something, uh, or whatever the case may be, or they can't buy food and, 
you know, in their favorite little, you know, hole in the wall restaurant, which I love hole in the wall restaurants, uh, that that's going to be, you know, that that's going to become an issue. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about that. And then, you know, that's something too. Like I think Google, Google kind of had the right idea with how to do this because they created that physical Google wallet card that they canceled. And, you know, I didn't even get into that. I didn't. All right. <laughs> I'm going to step back a little second. Cause I didn't even get to bring this up is that all these new services that Google announced and much of which is relevant actually to the story, you know, the messaging services, the wallet services, the pay services and all that, the track record that Google has of canceling services. I wouldn't use one of their messaging services for the life of me because I'd be afraid that eventually it would just go away, you know, inside of a year or two. I mean, Hangouts is already practically dead anyways. Uh, so that's a problem here. This speaks to a lot of this stuff because a lot of this is about the amplification of physical things that you have. Um, you know, these startups that do a lot of this amplification, okay, or digitizing, whatever, uh, you know, they come and go. You know, you think about uh, uh, Revolve, you know, speaking of Google, the Revolve product that, that Nest bought out and then Google bought out Nest. We talked about this. Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of people where their entire Lock systems, you know, we're just talking about locks with this story, uh, you know, where entire lock systems don't work anymore because Google stopped supporting the Revolve uh, hub, you know, IoT hub, and they didn't open source it, which is what they should have done. So, yeah, I mean, you got a huge problem here when this stuff relies upon connecting to the cloud. And that's a lot of the future that this writer is describing. I mean, this is a real issue. I wouldn't I don't trust Google. Server. I don't trust Google Spaces. I don't trust any of the new, new shit that they talked about other than perhaps the VR. But that's only because other manufacturers are in on the game like LG and Samsung. All right, let's read on. Uh, the coming age of smart glasses. In the 2030s, laptops, smartphones, and earbuds will coalesce into smart glasses. Unlike Google Glass, which was, uh, which was a display peripheral, smart glasses will replace your smartphone. Two major techno technical breakthroughs will power smart glasses, uh, those being augmented reality displays and finger tracking. Uh, innovations in miniaturization and battery life will provide hundreds of times the computing power of your current smartphone, and onboard earbuds will be embedded in the temples uh can i not reading on the ar or augmented reality display in smart glasses will overlay text images and full 3d scenes directly on one's field of view anything we can view on a monitor today will be available in 3d on smart glasses uh, when sitting in our circa early 2030 starbucks we will bring up a virtual high resolu resolution monitor and it will look and seem real Accelerometers and motion tracking will lock our virtual, will quote unquote, lock our virtual monitor to the table. AR displays will be able to create any virtual work surface we desire. A standard configuration might be a virtual three monitor display along with graphics uh, a tablet on the table. Smart glasses will integrate finger tracking as currently demonstrated by Xbox Connect and Leap Motion, eliminating the need for a keyboard or mouse. Smart glasses will project a virtual keyboard on any surface. Uh, the, the finger tracking in our smart glasses will then recognize virtual key presses most likely with tactile tactile sound feedback we have already seen a similar migration from tactile tactile mobile keyboards like blackberry to touchscreens as in like ios and android when the augmented reality display in smart glasses is coupled with finger tracking and a virtual keyboard laptops and smartphones will no longer be needed now i want to comment on that but there's just one last little bit to the story uh and it's titled no more screens some will choose not to wear smart glasses for appearance reasons, not to worry because in the late 2040s, 
now he's going in 40 years in the future. <laughs> uh, well, no, just a little over 20. Uh, smart glasses will be replaced with AR contact lenses. These will be coupled to a small CPU slash power chip that can be uh, surgically embedded in the upper arm. Earbuds will be available as permanent embeds as well, making it possible to interact online at any place, uh, anytime with no peripherals. Uh, Google's Magic Leap and Microsoft's HoloLens are both making big pushes into AR displays. Their early efforts will be clumsy, somewhat akin to a compact computer of the 1980s. But the prize is big. The winner of the AR display wars will ultimately control the future of the screen and usher in a new era where the only screens are virtual. Now, this is somewhat distinct from another concept that we've talked about in the past called Zero UI, uh, which has kind of multiple different terms of people or, you know, people have used that in different ways. Zero UI, as I understand it right now, means... Not that there's no screen, but that you don't do anything like you don't interact. The app just kind of does it all for you. Uh, and it can mean that, yeah, you just talk to it. You know, there's no actual interface to, you know, to be had there. As to where this is talking about, that there is uh, an interface, um, you know, and, and you could still like there's tactile contact where you could have a virtual keyboard and all this stuff. And I'll give the writer credit for at least admitting that unlike a lot of people in Silicon Valley who are, I think, are positively asinine for thinking that the keyboard will no longer be necessary. Uh, I mean, that's just ridiculous. That's bullshit. Uh, even though, you know, some people talk about what is it like? There's Project Eve, which is a programming language that is based around objects and not necessarily around, you know, characters and, and lines of code, but just like it's like putting together like Legos. That, I suppose, could exist in a, you know, in a keyboardless world and you could still do programming. Um but I think, you know, there's something here. Some of this will be true. I don't like the idea of shit getting implanted on me. Uh, you know, really not cool with that. <laughs> uh, but there's there's a, a greater point, I think, that might get missed here. And that is, you know, and this is only true really since the smartphone. I think with laptops, you know, something with larger screens and computers and all that, there's this isn't necessarily so. But I think someone needs to think about the children. <laughs> okay. Because... What's going to happen in this future is what are kids like, you know, if, if adults are models for children, you know, in their behaviors and, and how to interact with the world, what exactly are they going to learn? I mean, are we going to be jamming this stuff into kid? Like, shouldn't a kid have a choice to whether or not they're going to have something implanted into their temples? Yeah, I think maybe they should. Um, so what exactly are kids going to see their parents doing all day? Like, it's, it's going to be a very odd world. And I, and I question how, you know, a developing human mind will interact with reality when no one is really doing. I mean, yeah, they're doing things, but they're not really doing anything like like, I mean, a kid. And I'm not saying this is a healthy thing for a kid to see. You know, yeah, a kid sees that their parent is in front of, uh, you know, in front of a television. OK, you know, all the time, not the best model behavior, perhaps, uh, or, you know, or in front of a screen. One of the best arguments I ever heard for voice for voice controls, voice activated controls is. Uh, and, and this is interesting is the idea actually is Gina Trapani. I think she was talking on this week in Google and she said that she loves voice commands because then her kid, her child can understand what she's doing. Like she, the child gets an idea of what's going on. And I think you're going to lose all of that when you go to this, you know, screenless future. 
And I just, yeah, I, I have real concerns over this. And a lot of people talk about, you know, there's people who talk about when you're raising kids that uh, you don't let them near a screen for two years. Well, fuck, we're not even going to fuck the screen. We're just going to put smart glasses on little Johnny. And, you know, he, he, that's how he's going to interact with the world. But how is he going to have any like I really I wonder about their concept of reality, how that's all going to work. These are huge questions. You can't just go out there and say, well, everything's going to be, you know, screenless and all this stuff. Well, yeah, it can work because people knew what it's like to do things physically without it. Maybe in that sense, you know, it's okay. But when you're talking about people that have never done any of this stuff, I, I worry a lot, you know, about how the human mind develops in an AR situation. It should not replace the way that we interact, you know, with, with the bulk of what we do, in my opinion. Like, I, I, I really find that to be questionable. Or it should be a later part of life. I mean, it's so funny. You know, you talk about, uh, you know, giving kids tablets and all this stuff and Amazon and, uh, and, you know, and Apple. It's like, oh, yeah, this tablet's for your kid and all this stuff. When... Bezos and Steve Jobs in particular never let their kids touch smartphones or tablets. Why is that? Is it because they know something about what I'm hinting at here? Eee. I don't I don't like this idea of a screenless future. It has a place, but it shouldn't be the norm. Are you tired of theorists talking about the free market as a cure-all for every problem without first-hand experience of how the market actually works? Well, the Free Coast Financial Radio app gives you wall-to-wall shows by hosts who not only understand the market, but tell you how they make money in a variety of investment and artistic endeavors. The Free Coast Financial Radio app for Android is 24-7 streaming audio content on finance, liberty, and technology from the coastal region of New Hampshire. Because there's a lot more to New Hampshire than just Keen. Free Coast Financial Radio. Useful information, compelling personalities, and superior audio quality. The Free Coast Financial Radio app is covered by the Bipcot NoGov license. Go on the Google Play Store or on Amazon and search Free Coast, all one word. And please rate and review Worms. Whoa, hey, you want to slow down? I don't do slow, I move fast. Okay, well, so you're French. Everyone in the future speaks French. Wait, wait, wait. The future? From 2099. Permanent Autonomous Zone, Osiris One. You've been there. Oh, this isn't happening. It only thinks it's happening. How do I know you're from Osiris One? LGP fingerprint Omega 74656666. Okay, you're, you're legit. Hey, really, be careful. You drive like you're playing a video game. That is how you programmed me. Game Talk. It is time for Game Talk, where I talk about games. Woo! <laughs> and it allows the fun to, or allows the, the fun. It allows the show to be a little fun uh, here and there. Um, so this week, I was going to talk about something, and maybe I'll save it. Maybe it'll come out for Sex and Science Hour, which, boy, if you didn't hear Episode 7 of Sex and Science Hour... Get over to sexandsciencehour.com and give that thing a listen. Uh, but or, I'll, or you can just go to zog.ninja, actually. I, I post the show there as well. Um, but I was going to talk about Bang Fit, and that's bang.fit. And this is uh, a 
Well, kind of a kind of a gamification of exercising and fucking, <laughs> but I'll save that for another time. I do want to break uh, break into that because I think there's actually some really exciting things about it. Um, so instead, uh, because I, I kind of shortened the segment this week uh, to fit in everything, to, you know, talking about Google I/O, um, I want to talk about just just a brief topic, and that is, uh, you know, end of lifeing games. Now, end-of-lifing products we talked about earlier, like with Revolve and some of that other stuff, companies usually don't do a good job, be it games or whatever, okay, to where if it's a game or if it's a product that relies on connecting to a server somewhere or the cloud, um, and again, there is no cloud, it's just somebody else's computer, if it relies upon that and then that company goes out of business, gets bought out, whatever, just stops, it end-of-life's whatever it's doing, uh, you know, what, what is left to the consumer? In gaming, this wasn't a problem not long ago. Uh, in gaming, it used to be you spend $50, $60 on a cartridge, you pop it into your machine, that machine, in fact, that the console itself never connects to anything, and so the game plays and away you go. You know, and you could play, you know, there's people that are still rocking their, I, I bring this example up all the time. I have a 40-year-old Atari 2600, the thing still rocks. I can still pop in asteroids and go to town. Uh, there's people with NESs, Super Nintendos, whatever. The cartridges still play. The, the you know the consoles still rock them. They still play them out. This is a problem today, as to where you know you have not just not just necessarily because some people would say, well, those games are kind of basic, and what the fuck, you can't you know the features that you get by connecting to a server or by doing multiplayer and all this are just so awesome. Look, I don't want, you know, to go back to the days when consoles didn't connect to the internet, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay. I get that. I understand that argument. However, the necessity for games to connect to servers or to the cloud is, does not revolve necessarily around game features. Now it has become a part of DRM. It has become a part of digital rights management as in some games, and this is still true for a lot of games, like take the service games, uh, what was it, Games for Windows Live, which Microsoft end of life, admittedly after like five, six years, I mean, they, you know, or maybe even a decade, they gave it a good run. Uh, I'll give them that as to where, you know, Google cancels stuff inside of like six months. Uh, I mean, very different, but there's games that were available for that because you cannot log into Games for Windows Live because that server, you know, that, that software has been shut down, that server's, you know, turned off. Uh, you can't play the game anymore, regardless of how much money. And you could have spent 50 bucks on it. It's done. It's over. Now, no company is guaranteed. You know, no, no company is selling you games unless they explicitly say it with a guarantee that you will be able to play this for all eternity. Nobody would do that. And I understand that. OK, but, the, you know, still one of the one of the, the the real promises of the, you know, the computer age, we'll say, and of the Internet age was of the digital age, I guess, is that it would become consumer facing, not businesses pushing upon you, whatever the fuck they want, you know, and them giving you the narrative of what's good and, you know, what, what makes a great car or what doesn't, uh, you know, the digital age was all about the consumer getting to choose and the consumer having actual control as long as you understood how to use it. Uh, and so that, but that really, you know, things have kind of come full circles to where for a while in the nineties in particular, you did have total control over what you were doing. Uh, that is no longer true. Now you are very, people are very much slaves to the cloud. They are slaves to someone else's server. They are slaves, to, you know, to all of this, unless you choose to use, you know, products that don't connect to that, but those are becoming slimmer and slimmer, fewer and fewer. 
Um, but there is a right way, you know, what the most popular concept of this or the most popular implementation of, of, you know, games that have to connect to a server in the cloud are, you know, MMOs, massive multiplayer online games, be it role playing shooters, whatever. And I get it that these games are not going to last forever. I understand that. Uh, and I mean, it's amazing that World of Warcraft has gone on for as long as it, as it has. And already the numbers show, you know, obviously that it's, it's waning significantly. Uh, but I give I'll give a lot of credit to World of Warcraft. I mean, yeah, it's come out with new, uh, you know, expansion packs and all that. But it is a game that's operated on its own, you know, first shy of a decade. I mean, you know, with with no, you know, there's no uh, World of Warcraft 2. There's none of this stuff. I think that's great. You know, I I, I really appreciate that they, they're standing the test of time. Um, but some games haven't. And I have a problem with that because you will, you know, some some of these games require you spend $10 a month or however much a month uh, to be able to access it. And then once it's done, you don't have saved games that you can go back to. You have nothing like it. It, it effectively becomes, you know, it, it evaporates into the ether. Now, again, I don't expect companies to make any kind of guarantees. It'd be great if they just open sourced everything. They gave people, you know, all of the software to where they could run their own servers and they could play the game. You know, as long as they had the technical knowledge, they could play it into, you know, into infinity. That's, that is the best way to do it. But there's another way to do it that maybe doesn't require that. Uh, maybe, you know, a company doesn't want to hand over their secret sauce uh, for, you know, how they were able to solve latency and all of this stuff. And I wish they didn't feel that way, but I get it. I understand why they would. All right. And so they're not going to give empower people to run their own servers. I understand that. Um, DRM, I do not understand that. I think it's bullshit. You know, it, it does more harm than good. And there's lots of proof of that. But the other way that you can do this, and I think this is really cool because not just the longtime game players, but all kinds of people really get to win and they really get to appreciate and enjoy what an MMO was at one point uh, or a game, whatever. And that is you create and Sony's really good about this. Sony Entertainment Online uh, or yeah, Sony Online Entertainment, right? SOE. They're really good about this. They make what are called memory books. And this is what I wish more companies would do. Uh, that that end of life, their games, because you don't have to actually, especially today in the digital world, you know, you don't have to publish the book. You can just, you know, make a PDF of it. And what they do is they've done this for a couple games and they just recently released the one or maybe it wasn't recently. I recently found it. Um, they recently released the one for Star Wars Galaxies, which is the original Star Wars MMO. It's not Old Republic, uh, but I hope EA does this with Old Republic when eventually I imagine that game will, you know, will get end of life. Um, but they also did it the first time I experienced this, and maybe it was the first time that any company had done it, had created a memory book, was with The Matrix Online, which Sony also created, which I loved that game. Um, they And you can find this online. It's a memory book. You can download the PDF. And it pretty much tells you the entire story of what happened throughout the life of the MMO, because you have missions. I mean, it's just like world of Warcraft where there's missions or storylines and all this stuff. And it gives you all of that story. The star Wars galaxy memory book does the same thing. And maybe it gives you a bunch of nice screenshots from the game and all this stuff. It's a great way of encapsulating what something was, you know, and it's a simple way of doing it. Uh, and, and I love that because, you know, honestly, for a lot of games, 
Like I, I love how on YouTube you can watch like game movies where somebody will just play through the game and they'll make it work. You know, they'll edit it and they'll make it work out like it's a film. I love experiencing games that way. Sometimes I like games more for their story than I do for the actual gameplay. That's part of the reason that uh, Zomia Offline Games, you know, the, the mantra for Zomia Offline Games is story first, story forever. That's my game company. Because story is, is you know, that's what I want out of a game. And so obviously that's what I do. Uh, you know, is, is concentrate on story. So these memory books, uh, I like really, I'd love it if consumers kind of demanded this out of companies, you know, I mean, it's just in these companies, I mean, obviously with, with a lot of, you know, a lot of these games, I mean, people are ponying up some serious cash. The least they can do is release, you know, the storyline of the game in a really nice fashion, uh, you know, that, that stands for posterity. I think they're so cool. The Matrix one, especially like when you find out that Neo gets kind of reincarnated and he comes back as a woman. I thought that was awesome. I uh, was a Sarah Edmonton or something like that. It's, it's like an, an anagram of uh, Thomas Anderson. Uh, that that was that was awesome. So but, you know, most people would never know that story if a there wasn't either a Wikipedia entry, which the Wikipedia entry isn't that impressive. Uh, or if Sony didn't create this memory book that, that gets released. Um, and if they want to publish it, all the better. If people want to hash out, you know, a hundred bucks for this great hard, you know, coffee book edition, uh, you know, cool, do it. So this is, there are ways, because we complain a lot about, I complain a lot about so on Sovereign Tech that, well, you know, the way that these companies end of life, anything, not just games, but products, whatever, it sucks. There are great ways that have already been done that at least soften the blow or allow it to, to really be appreciated forever. And that way, you know, that way the coders and the writers of the game and all that, they can get appreciated forever. So memory books, let's keep doing that. You know, let's face it, the whole financial game, it's rigged. So why don't you get in on the game? Now, no guarantee of results here, but I'm telling you something that's really cool to check out. You want to get on this is Cool Trade. This is software made by an ex-Microsoft guy, uh, just a brilliant guy, Ed Barsano. He put this all together. And I mean, this is one of those guys, he's got it going on with Cool Trade. Okay. This is software that runs in it. It can run in its own stealth mode uh, that allows you to, to do trades on the stock market. And it's all automatic. It's just setting up a computer. You put it off to the side, you know, of, of a room somewhere and you just let it run. You let the software run in stealth mode. So nobody on wall street knows what you're doing. And uh, you, you know, it just keeps uh, that. It just keeps working on making money for you every day. That's what you want to get your hands on. Okay. Cool trade. You want to check it out now. I got a great deal for Sovereign Tech listeners, okay? You go to smartmarketshow.com slash sovereign. That's smartmarketshow.com slash sovereign. And you can get a great deal on this whole, I, I mean, you're going to want to get in on this software. And also, I want you to check out, I actually got, we, this deal is being provided by Pace Ellsworth, who's a great guy. He's been on Sovereign Tech before, uh, might be on again. And just a, just a real brilliant guy. He is a you know liberty lover, just like you, freedom, all the good stuff, okay? He is all about you taking Taking advantage of the system. <laughs> all right. And that's what cool trades all about, but he's running the automation community there uh, with smart market and he does the smart market show. You can check him out as well. I recommend doing that, uh, but you can talk to pace directly smartmarketshow.com slash sovereign, and you can get hooked up with cool trade and you can start taking advantage of the system and stop leaving it to all those, honestly, all those fucks in wall street. <laughs> all right. So get on it. Uh, this is it, it's, it's exciting software slash sovereign. Now, Let's get back to Sovereign Tech and thanks so much to Cool Trade and Smart Market Show sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Right on. Pixel says it should be this panel. We need to hack into the control center to shut down all of those assassin bots. 
Well, you're the android. Can't you just jack in? Wait, but the way I connect is more like a jack-off. Was that a joke? Hacking is no joke. Hmm. Directly connecting certainly beats doing it with the keyboard. Hmm. You're notorious for your love of cyber sex. Okay, now that was a joke. Just get hacking. A quick hack solves everything. Hacksack. It is time for Hacksack, where I talk issues of hacking and security. And this week, admittedly, like this is a story that got sent in to me from a, from a great Sovereign Tech listener. And I'm shocked that I'm actually going to be disagreeing with uh, not the listener uh, necessarily, but with the person that wrote it. And that person is Moxie Marlin Spike. Now, we were just talking about him earlier because he is the pretty much the creator of the, the Axolotl protocol, the Signal protocol, uh, you know, at Open Whisper Systems. And just a, you know, a great guy. Uh, you know, I just, I'm, I'm not, I'll, let, I'll tell you straight up, I'm not seeing eye to eye with him on what he wrote up here. Uh, and, and I want to read it. Um, but again, even though I disagree with him, that doesn't mean that this is like, oh, don't use signal or anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying I don't really agree with kind of the direction that he's that he's he's thinking here. So uh, and this has to do with signal and, and kind of its future. Um, and it it's titled the blog post is titled Reflections. The ecosystem is moving. Now you can read this for yourself. Uh, just find episode 176 at ZOG Ninja show notes. It's right in there under HackSec. Uh, at Open, Open Whisper Systems, reading here, we've been developing open source, quote unquote, consumer facing software for the past four years. We want to share some of the things we've learned while doing it. As a software developer, I envy writers, musicians and filmmakers. Unlike software, when they create something, it is really done forever. A recorded album can be just the same 20 years later, but software has to change. Software exists as part of an ecosystem, and the ecosystem is moving. The platform changes out from under it, the networks evolve, security threats and countermeasures are in constant shift, and the collective UX, or user experience language, uh, rarely sits still. As more money, time, and focus has gone into the ecosystem, the faster the whole thing has begun to travel. Okay, now I want to stop real quick just on, on that aspect, because already I I think there's a bit of a false premise. Uh, like he's talking about the UX language and all this uh, examples of that might be like material or hollow, like that Google implements in Android. Um, a lot of the user experience that improves is really all about not pleasing the consumer. It's about, or doing something because, you know, for, for some like really great technical reason, it really just has to do with um, with pleasing investors, they need to see some kind of improvement or they need, or it, maybe it's a growth trick because you make something look prettier and suddenly people want to download it. There's not like an actual technical reason for the ecosystem to move that much. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and this is, you know, really the bottom line ecosystem is coding and the proof that that ecosystems don't move is how many people still write in C nonstop. You know, <laughs> it's not until like Swift and Rust come around that suddenly people start to shake things up a bit, you know, or Java being so popular. I mean, you know, I don't think the ecosystem has to move. That's kind of a false. That's a false stick. Not I don't want to say dichotomy, but like that's a false premise, I think, right out of the gate uh, with this write up. Um, but I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with making things prettier. I'm just saying, let's be clear that that the incentives for doing that in themselves are not consumer facing, in my opinion, uh, reading on it, it, just proof, proof positive. I think if you gave most people windows 95, 
it does enough for them. They, <laughs> you know what I mean? For the average person, for the average consumer, Windows, and I've said that that's not new for me to say. I've said that on, on Sovereign Tech forever. Windows 95 is really operating system enough. The success of Chromebooks, which, by the way, uh, are now also allowing for the implementation of Android apps, uh, the, the Play Store will be on Chrome OS. And now Chromebooks are outselling Macintosh computers. They're, they're selling outselling Macs. Ooh, yeah, that shows people really don't need that much or they don't want even that much. The market's speaking here. Um, reading on, all of this means that the set of expectations users have for social and communication features are revolving rapidly. Again, I think that's a false premise, but reading. Anyone building software today knows that it is not possible to stand still. One of the uh, controversial things we did with Signal early on was to build it as an unfederated service. Nothing about any of the protocols were developed requires serv uh, centralization. It's entirely possible to build a federated Signal protocol-based messenger, but I no longer believe that it is possible to build a competitive federated messenger at all. Now, federated is like emails to where there's no central server. It can be implemented anywhere. You can do it yourself, blah, blah, blah. It's one of the things I really like. Like, I want things to be federated. Uh, IRC, you know, and all this. Yeah, let's federate all the things. Anyway, stuck in time, reading on. In some, some circles, this has not been a popular opinion. When someone recently asked me about federating an unrelated communication platform into the Signal network, I told them that I thought we'd be unlikely to ever federate with clients and servers we don't control. Their retort was, quote, that's dumb. How far would the Internet have gotten without uh, interoperable protocols defined by third parties, end quote. I thought about it. We got to the first production version of IP and have been uh, uh, trying for the past 20 years to switch to a second production version of IP with limited uh, success. We got to HTTP version 1.1 in 1997 and have been uh, IP Internet Protocol and have been stuck there until now. Likewise, SMTP, which is email, IRC, DNS, XMPP are all similarly frozen in time circa the late 1990s. To answer this question, that's how far the Internet got. It got to the late 90s. That has taken us pretty far. Uh, but it's undeniable that once you federate your protocol, it becomes very difficult to make changes. And right now at the application level, things that stand still don't fare very well in a world where the ecosystem is moving. Now, I want to comment on all that because I love IRC. In fact, you can go to irc.zog.ninja uh, and you can use an IRC channel. I'm there. You know, all kinds of people are there. It's a good time. Um, I love Usenet. I love XMPP. I love all of these things. Uh, and I I don't agree with his. I, I Again, there. I'm going to comment on this part of the premise. And, and if you think it's wrong of me to not read the whole thing and, you know, and, and stop in between. Well, it's important to stop here and talk about this. Uh, Facebook would not be Facebook. You know, and, and Facebook is becoming very much its messenger service, uh, you know, its messenger system, not just the newsfeed and all of that. Well, what was the Facebook messenger originally built on? XMPP. These open standards, these federated ability, you know, that any company can take and build into is what has created all of these megalithic companies, all these quote unquote successes. And I put that in quotes. OK, successes, you know, to, to be there. Like is because of the fact that you have these technologies that are just so extensible and just so adaptable. So I don't buy it that somehow it's held the Internet back. I don't I don't think so. And I don't think that the Internet is, is somehow going to reach something higher just because we start centralizing everything. I think, yes, there might be an ease of use that will that will come into play. Uh, you know, people will be able to, uh, I, I don't know, like all of their Google services can connect better or something like that because everything's centralized. Sure. 
But then also, you know, that at the same time, that means that when one of these services, you know, that when that if Google ever goes down, you lose every service you've got. You have nowhere else to go. So I, nah, I, I'm not buying this. I'll, I'll keep reading. But the Internet of the late 90s, we got that far because of genius men. And I'm not saying he wouldn't that Moxie wouldn't say that they're geniuses. OK, uh, but. At the same time, like these technologies, they were genius because they were so forward thinking. And I don't think that their day is up. If anything, we're, you know, I, I always say this te- technology is cyclical. Okay. Or it's, it's not cyclical. It's, it's a spiral. Technology is a spiral is in, it retraces its steps as it goes up, as it goes around in the cycle. Okay. You know, we were mentioning earlier with the daydream VR platform, Nintendo already did all of that. Okay. Just maybe people weren't ready for it. And but but now now, you know, now seemingly people are ready for it. They're on the spiral at the right spot. And and so, you know, technology is just going back to that original genius. Uh, so, again, I'm, I'm really debating this 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 whole this this premise that he has. Uh, I'll keep reading. Indeed, cannibalizing a federated application layer protocol into a uh, centralized service is almost a sure recipe for a successful consumer product today. So he's admitting that uh, it's what Slack did with IRC, what Facebook did with email and what WhatsApp has done with XMPP. In each case, the federated service is stuck in time while the centralized service is able to iterate into the modern world and beyond. So while it's nice that I'm able to host my own email, that's also the reason why my email isn't end-to-end encrypted and probably never will be. By contrast, WhatsApp was able to introduce end-to-end encryption to over a billion users with a single software update. So long as federation means stasis while centralization means movement, federated protocols are going to have trouble existing in a software climate that demands movement as it uh, as it does today. Again, I think this whole thing is a false stallion breaking in. It's a false paradigm. Uh, you can do end-to-end encrypted email and you can do it through the application itself. Uh, Google, you know, they what 2014, they said they were going to do their end to end Gmail implementation and they never released it. I don't think they never released it because it's not technically feasible. I think they never released it because, as we said earlier, Google needs to see what you're typing. They need to get your information. They have to have it. Encryption is antithetical to the business model of Google. So I, I, I think Moxie's off on this reading on. Um, Early on, I, th- I thought we'd federated or we'd federate signal once its velocity had subsided. Now I realize that things will probably never slow down. And if anything, the velocity of the entire landscape seems to be steadily increasing. Uh, XMPP is an example of a federated protocol that advertised itself as a quote unquote living standard. Despite its capacity for protocol extensions, however, it's undeniable that XMPP still largely resembles a synchronous protocol with limited support for rich media, which can't realistically be deployed on mobile devices. If XMPP is so extensible, why haven't those extensions quickly brought it up to speed with the modern world? Well, if you use chat secure, you can see just how far XMPP can go and it can go pretty far. Uh, that That's me saying that. But anyway, I'll, I'll keep reading on. Like any federated protocol, extensions don't mean much unless everyone applies them. And that's an almost impossible task in a truly federated landscape. I'll keep reading, but there's another false paradigm. Uh, What we have instead is a complicated morass of XCPs that aren't consistently applied anywhere. The implications of that are severe because someone's choice to use an XMPP client or server that doesn't support video or some other arbitrary feature doesn't only affect them. It affects everyone who tries to communicate with them. It creates a climate of uncertainty, never knowing whether things will work or not. In the consumer space, fractured client support is often worse than no client support at all because consistency is incredibly important. Important for creating a compelling user experience. 
Now, the, I'm going to st- I'm going to stop him there again. Okay, and the reason I think that that this is this is this argument's crap is and and with all due respect, Moxie, because I think you're great. Okay, but this is kind of crap because this is inferring that everybody wants to talk to everybody. When you look at how you know uh, uh, Facebook has been looking into implementing uh, more group features, when you have like Messenger that allows for groups, when you have Google Spaces, uh, when you have Telegram putting in group features, when the big push it seems in a lot of these, even in Line, the Line Messenger now has groups and all this, you know, when the big push is to work with small groups, that's because to get shit done, you work in small groups. Small groups, you don't need everybody to accept everything. You don't need this unifying standard for everybody to, you know, to get shit done or to even enjoy life. In fact, as I talk about often on Sovereign Tech, the Dunbar number, people can't even handle communicating with that many people at once. OK, so you just need your group to like, you know, to kind of, you know, you use smaller systems. I don't buy this idea that the entire planet needs WhatsApp. That's ridiculous. especially to fulfill their life goals and their life's desires. They sure as hell don't need WhatsApp. They would do just fine with, you know, a a group messenger of some kind. That's federated at that. Anyway, uh, all right, I'll keep reading. Uh, Let's see, compelling user experience. Okay, for example, even GitHub has problems with consistency and control right now. They introduced issue templates, uh, but a number of third-party GitHub clients don't support them. So even after creating a thorough issue template for the Signal Android repository, we still get people who post, it doesn't work, please help, because their client never even showed them the template. That makes me annoyed with GitHub, even though I use the official GitHub clients. It's a potential opportunity for a GitHub competitor and can display issue templates uh, consistently. One potential benefit of federation is the ability to choose what provider gets access to your metadata. However, as someone who self-hosts my mail or my email, that has never felt particularly relevant, given that every email I send or receive seems to have Gmail on the other end of it anyway. Federated services always seem to coalesce under a provider that the bulk of people use, with a long tail of small, scattered self-hosting across the Internet. That makes sense because running a reliable service isn't easy. But it's an outcome that is sadly the worst of both worlds. If anything, protecting metadata is going to require innovation in new protocols and software. Those changes are only likely to be possible in centralized environments with more control rather than less. Just as making the changes to consistently deploy end-to-end encryption in federated protocols like email has proved difficult, we're more likely to see the emergence of enhanced metadata protection in centralized environments with greater control. Well, okay, Moxie, but then where's, what's the problem here? Is the problem email or is the problem that people use Gmail? Right? (laughs) Like, so, you know, what's, what's the easier thing to do? Or I guess not what's the easier thing. What's the thing to do? Is it to educate people away from using Gmail or is it to just be like, well, everybody's using Gmail. So uh, let's just try and make Gmail better. No, I would argue it's to educate people to stop using fucking Gmail. Okay, because that's a much larger, it's a much larger, I mean, it's not, it's not just like people are using Gmail. The problem is, is that Google is a gigantic ecosystem in and of itself, and people are giving all of their data to that. And that is being coalesced with other, you know, with other services that aren't federated. So it's not just like you're comparing email and Gmail, you're comparing email to the monolithic Google. 
So again, false paradigm, uh, in in my opinion here. Uh, All right, let's read a little bit more. On some level, Federation is appealing precisely because it does freeze protocols in time. It's great when centralized clients and servers roll out features that benefit us, but they could just as easily roll out features that don't. Uh, Federation gives us more collective control over what what changes we accept, but that comes with an unacceptable inability to adapt. Uh, Given that federated services always seem to coalesce around a provider that the bulk of people use, Federation becomes a sort of implicit threat. Nobody really wants to run their own servers, but they know that it might be possible if their current host does something egregious enough to make it worth the effort. However, over the past six years, we've also seen the user costs of switching between centralized communication services reduce substantially, particularly given the tendency towards addressing the user-owned identifiers like phone numbers. The device's uh, address book is now the social network, so using phone numbers as an identifier has reduced switching costs by putting a user's social network under their control. Unless, Moxie, uh, you know, you stop paying your phone bill and you lose your phone number, then you've got a problem. In a way, uh, reading on, the notification center on a mobile device has become the federation point for all communication apps, uh, similar to how older desktop IM clients unified communication across multiple IM networks. Uh, the effect the effect has been visible in the messaging space, where market leaders have come and gone. New popular apps come out of nowhere, and even the most successful players seem compelled to continue iterating and improving their services as quickly as possible. This reduced user friction has begun to extend the implicit threat that used to come with federated services into centralized services as well. Whereas before you could switch hosts or even decide to run your own server, now users are simply switching entire networks. In many cases, that cost is now much lower than the federated switching cost of changing your email address to use a different email provider. An open source infrastructure for a centralized network now provides almost the same level of control as federated protocols without giving up the ability to adapt. If a centralized provider with an open source infrastructure ever makes horrible changes, those that disagree have the software they need to run their own alternative instead. It may not be as beautiful as federation, but at this point, it seems that it will have to do. Okay, so Moxie is admitting that Federation is, at least I'm reading into it, that he's saying, yes, we do want Federation, but it's not how things are, are shaping up. So let's just move on with, you know, centralized services and all that. It's, it all kind of comes off as a little defeatist, I feel. Um, and, you know, there's, there's something to be said for the idea that, you know, the average person really, like, doesn't, um, they're not on the cusp. They're not on the bleeding edge. And that's true. Okay. And, and, and that's fine. And like, it takes time for everybody to sort of catch up with the rest of the world. Like, uh, something that's happening with driverless cars right now, uh, is that people are, you know, there's issues with driver, with people getting used to being in driverless cars. Uh, you know, they'll start to accept it. But the problem is, is that, yeah, after like 10 minutes driving around in a driverless car, they, they accept the technology, right? They accept kind of the quantum leap in technology, but then they don't, they don't understand that there needs to be a point where maybe they need to take control. Like they just completely relinquish control to the, to the driverless car. Now this is a problem, but it's an education problem, not necessarily a technological problem. And that's what I feel like is really going on right here is that, you know, we can do the, you know, not the incremental, but the, the exponential, you know, we can do the, the really fast jump to the new thing. Okay, but people need to be educated about it. And that's that that's really what I think all this comes down to is just education. It's not that somehow centralized services are better 
or that it's the way to go or that, well, this will incrementally get people used to encryption and all this stuff. And believe me, I mean, it's great that encryption is getting implemented in a lot of these centralized services. I'm not saying that it that it isn't. OK, but the reason I think it's a good thing is because it's educating on the people on the idea that, oh, shit can be encrypted. It's all about education. Uh, I, I don't I think this whole thing runs with a completely false premise. Uh, I really do. You know, you don't incrementalism. I love the old saying incrementalism is uh, is perpetuity. Incrementalism in theory is perpetuity in practice, meaning that you if you just incrementally introduce this stuff uh, that, you know, nothing will ever really change, even though he's claiming that everything's moving again. Everything's moving, not because of the consumer, not because of what people really want, but because of what a select few, that being investors or whoever else that need to be, get pleased about this. So I think this whole thing comes off of them from a false premise. If you have questions about what I've said, email me and I will touch on it. Maybe you agree with Moxie. Let me know. I'll be back with more. You're listening to Sovereign Tech. Woo, I can't believe I just disagreed with that guy. The reviews are in, and Babylon 5's a winner. The New York Daily News says Babylon 5 could make Star Wars look like a walk in the park. The Chicago Sun-Times calls it a welcome addition to the sci-fi universe. Impressive, perfectly scaled for TV, raves the LA Times. And the Kansas City Star says Babylon 5 is one space station you're likely to want to visit frequently. See for yourself what everyone's talking about on Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history, Babylon 5. Adelaide, why are we stopping? In the future, uh, we have a custom. Uh, what's the custom? After a successful mission, a team usually is love, a menage a trois, or orgy. Yeah, there's there's only two of us. I already contacted the others to come join us. I love women, too. Whoa, Hadley, you're beautiful, but you're an android. I am fully functional. I am programmed in multiple techniques. A broad variety of... Wow, I guess so. You did say you move fast. Mm-hmm. Oh. 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 Adelaide, mm-hmm. the future is going to be so good. The climax. Woo-hoo. <laughs> uh, I will have to tell the story around uh, around those those intros in the near future. Uh, but anyway, until then, we've got a really short affiliates if you didn't already notice we are in overtime um which i want to welcome uh i we we have more affiliates <laughs> you you heard an ad for one uh for earlier the free coast financial radio uh very, very exciting so anyway um what i want to talk about real quick just a couple minutes is a couple of devices that have recently come across and this is amazing talk about a race to the bottom talk about things not costing much these days uh and they're really not costing much like i don't see any adware built into either of these devices whatsoever uh I, at least not really i mean i don't know what android phone you could buy today that doesn't come with some kind of preloaded app uh but nothing i don't really see anything egregious and the two devices i want to mention are the Blue Vivo XL, 
Okay, and this is an Android smartphone. It has it runs uh, Android 5.1, though supposedly it'll upgrade to Marshmallow when Blue uh, releases it, and that's BLU. Uh, it has an octa-core processor, which is mind-blowing to me. It's a MediaTek, so, I mean, it's the lower end of the spectrum, but it is an octa-core. Two gig of RAM uh, and a micro SD card. It has dual SIM cards, which is really handy, a replaceable battery of all things. Uh, it has 16 gig of on- onboard storage, and it is a metal unibody. That's right. It's built almost exactly the same as an iPhone. That's remarkable. Uh, And this thing is tough. I've already dropped it once. And I mean, you know, with with no errors, Um, you know, it's a very serviceable phone for one hundred and, you know, one hundred fifty dollars. Uh, it will do pretty much anything, you know, I mean, it's not the best gaming, uh, smartphone. It doesn't have NFC. I consider that a feature, not a bug. Uh, it doesn't have, um, it doesn't have a fingerprint reader. I also consider that a feature, not a, not a problem. Uh, and it 720p screen, everything looks great. And the battery life, I mean, this thing goes all day for me. Uh, I love it. I, I think it's it's a really, really slick phone. And I have to thank the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy for it. Uh, it just, just great. And then also, a Sovereign Tech listener uh, equipped me with the Acer Aspire CloudBook 114. This is the 14-inch version of it. Now, this is a computer that, it's a laptop, that it only has 64, it has a 64-gig solid-state drive in it. Not removable, not replaceable, none, all the stuff is soldered onto the board. That is not uh, the best, you know, the most optimal setup, in my opinion, but there it is. It has 2 gig of RAM, I wish it had 4 gig. But I am not complaining. Uh, And, uh, you know, I wish I had a 1080p screen. It only has the 720p screen. Well, I deal with it. Uh, My my previous ThinkPad only had that, too, and it worked great for me. Uh, But the real winner here, and it comes with Windows 10, and you could put Linux on and all that. But the real winner here is this thing has, like, I I think they advertise it as having 12-hour battery life. I get 16 hours out of it. Like, I get a long, long time out of it. It has wireless AC, so it can do 2.4 and 5 gigahertz bands, which is better than that blue phone that I mentioned. Um, it's fantastic. And I'm recording the podcast on it. Uh, I mean, and not, you know, it's not going to be the greatest gaming machine. If you run GOG.com, though, you know, and you like playing older games, it does great for that. It does great for emulators. I mean, it's, it's very, very, it's a very serviceable machine. The keyboard is beautiful. The trackpad is beautiful. The screen looks pretty good. Uh, I mean, it's, it's very nice. It only has, you, you can look it up online. Um, but my point being is that for, you know, and this only runs for like 200 bucks. Okay. And you could probably get it for less somewhere. For about for under four hundred dollars, you know, you could have a really great computer mobile setup and you are good to go and you are rocking and you load on a bunch of free software. Bingo. I mean, shit. And I mean, I can't even imagine if I put Linux on this little on this uh, cloud book, the battery life would probably go 20 hours. <laughs> you know, I mean, th- it's amazing what you can do with all this. And, and it's actually going to be me proving a point of just how much media can I create? And I can do my game making on this thing, too. How much media can I create with, you know, lower end hardware? I think it's, it, it, it's a good question. Uh, so anyway, that's my experiment. Check both of these devices out. I'll, I'll put their names in the show notes. That's enough for this week. Please donate uh, if you love what I do with the show. Thank you so much to everybody that already has. Carpe Lucem! Woo! I'll see you on the other side. Got a great episode coming for you next week. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed.
Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to The Evolution. Test, 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 test. Bum, 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 bum. 